0: show.
1: It's uncut. It's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. This is the biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred.
0: Speaking his mind.
1: I've never had a problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way.
0: Exploring hot topics.
1: Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. I'm
0: spreading the gospel of drag racing.
1: I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. This is the great American motorsport, drag racing. The
0: West Bucks Show starts in three,
1: two, one. Good afternoon, beautiful people. It is Wednesday, September 1st, 2021, live from the Drag Illustrated studio. It's the West Buck Show. Let's everybody clap. Come on, come on, let's give a little round of applause. Wherever you are, I want to tell you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Whether you're watching along on YouTube, Facebook, listening to it after the fact via Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I truly feel that your involvement, your engagement, your comments, your likes, your shares, it's like oxygen to us here at Drag Illustrated. We love engaging with you. We love talking drag racing every Wednesday, and we literally cannot do this deal without you. Today's show, it's going to be an absolute barn burner, I tell you. As always, Mike Carpenter, Murder Tundra, joining me in the studio at 230 I believe we will be joined by door slammer superstar turned top fuel rookie, the one and only Alex Laughlin at 3 p.m. We will be joined by Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hagan, excuse me, himself at 3 o'clock. And then at 3.30, we'll bring on the one and only Chris Boosted Hamilton of Street Outlaws and No Prep Kings fame. I promise you guys it's going to be off the chain there. I said it. But before we dive into our guests and start talking drag racing with what I believe to be some of the biggest names the sport has to offer, I think it's time to uh, introduce my co-hosts, the homies here in studio and talk a little bit of drag racing. Mike Carpenter, Murder Tundra. What's happening, guys? Mike, we worked all week on our questions for the show. What do you you got to get things started here? Well,
2: is there a drag race happening this week or weekend? Uh, Have you heard about this? The U.S. Nationals?
1: almost ad nausea right like i'm yeah. glad to see everybody ranting and raving about it it's fantastic but it's i mean but it's a big reminder i think more so than anything else it's one of those things that really just remind you that all roads lead to indy like you can win championships you can you can stack up titles you can do all these things but indy it makes racers it makes champions it creates legends and I'm, I'm genuinely excited about it i fly out first thing friday morning i'm gonna spend a couple of days in uh Claremont at Lucas Oil Raceway at Indianapolis, but man, I'm genuinely excited about it, and to your point, Mike, the whole world's talking about
2: it. Yeah, I hate I'm going to miss it this year, but uh, it's, it was definitely a special event. You know, Last year, really, I think it was the event that sort of, it was the first of the post-COVID push that... First time felt kind of Yeah, normal. they felt kind of normal. We had fans in the stands. Uh, it was an amazing weekend. I think the weather was awesome. We saw some really cool stuff. We saw Erica make her push toward her fourth world championship uh getting her second uh indie win uh so it's uh was it back to back indie wins or yeah i think right oh no wait runner up i think she was runner, runner up, up to, to Alex, the final to Alex, Alex, yeah,
3: referred, yeah the year before that's right that's
2: right so yeah i mean that was very cool and then we had the whole eric trump situation which was uh unexpected but uh really especially for and cool. i west that was quite a uh a unique experience i forgot my wait let's see is it the is it the mega hat yeah the mega hat there in the background signed Signed by signed by donald himself oh is it yeah who we uh who we did a video for which still is mind-blowing that we ended up doing a video uh promoting drag racing kind of on the fly with our team that we had on the ground there at indy and uh we get it to uh the Trump team. One thing leads to another. Next thing we Crazy. know, the big guy, as they call him, is posting it on social. That was. I think
1: we totally. Was that something that happened to us that we completely like spaced the significance of as it's, it was like, it's like an out of body
2: deal. Like you just yeah. forget. You know, like you're on autopilot. You can't believe that this is happening. It's totally not what we intended to go there <laughs> to do. Uh, but it, it, you know, it just was awesome. Really worked out. We made some new friends. Made some new, uh, some new contacts, and and really. Kind of a once in a lifetime experience, probably.
1: Man, I really think so. It's uh, it's an ing- it's an incredible. It was for me personally, as somebody who like, I don't want to dive into a bunch of politics. I just have respect for anybody that's like in office serving our country, doing, doing those type of things. Yeah, you For me, it was a huge moment just to be in the presence of somebody that was involved in that circle, the son of Donald Trump. It was a cool moment, man. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Seeing him climb behind the wheel of Jed Coughlin's pro stock car, Jed Coughlin Jr.'s pro stock car and whack the throttle a couple of times i mean it was
2: cool no matter it's a moment man i mean any president or his family direct family is there hanging out and whacking the throttle in a pro stock car and we're doing drag racing videos for them regardless of where you stand you have to admit that's pretty cool i was jealous
3: i was way jealous
1: it was a cool moment man it really was and i do want to remind everybody please click like click share help us spread the word it makes such a huge difference man in this technological age we live in you have to do everything possible so please share this we're live right now on youtube as well as on facebook click like click share help us spread the message man we had an all-time high watermark for the west buck show last week kind of a huge moment for all of us we were blessed to have stevie fast jackson in the house as long along with john force which was just a titanic lineup we were hoping to have an ongoing conversation with mike murillo big time star of street outlaws no prep kings unfortunately we had some technical difficulties and that kind of
2: derailed that program. But how about the handoff from Stevie to John? Do you I think really, did John hit, did John hit Stevie up after to see what his schedule looked like? <laughs> that see if he really could get was, him in the car.
1: I think that was a legitimate drag racing moment, in my opinion. That was completely organic. Kudos to you guys, because apparently there was a conversation going on in the background
3: about John's waiting. Should we yeah, just we get him into the middle? We were waiting for you oh, to he he like, give your seal of approval about. It. Yeah. him being, being you know him being like like, let I just throw to, him on surprising yeah.
0: people, like, yeah. well and
1: i think stevie like stevie got a little red in the neck
3: you yeah, know what i mean,
1: mean And, and he was like, blood pressure went way up and he went on and put on like basically a full pressure pitch, pitch. To, yeah. to become the test pilot to jump in a car and i honestly i'm hoping and pray and this is a tough thing to talk about because i i hate and we're gonna we're gonna dive into this a little bit with alex laughlin a little bit later but I always hate to see door slammer drag racing, which I don't think it's any secret that I'm the biggest fan of door slammer drag racing. I always hate to see one of our best and brightest somebody that's really been a a huge part of the ascension of door slammer drag racing. Someone like Stevie fast moving on to, to something else. I would hate to see door slammer drag racing. lose Stevie, excuse me, to nitro racing, to top fuel or funny car. But I tell you what, if I take a step back and I really, reflect on what would be the absolute best possible thing in my opinion that could happen to the sport of drag racing headed into the future especially as some of these huge big polarizing personalities the john forces of the world as their careers start to wind down right and as they start to to really contemplate how much longer am i going to do this when do i ride off into the sunset do i want to go out on top it's so important to have somebody locked and loaded to, to go in yeah. and and consume that spotlight and kind of take the reins. And I personally feel I can look across the whole sport. I don't know that there is anybody better suited to carry this sport, to carry pro-level drag racing into the future, 22, 23, and so on, than Stevie Fast Jackson. And I hope Great. that I someday agree. we can sit down and have a conversation and, and, and reminisce and BS about the fact that we kind of helped connect those two right here on this show via this platform that we're so proud of. And can you imagine if that day actually happened looking back on that clip five, 10 years from now? I mean, just well, imagine. John
2: said the stars are coming or, you know, to, to some effect. He knows that that is something that's going to take place sooner or later. So that that's a, it's a possibility. We're going to need stuff like that. If, if nitro racing is going to survive in the format that it has and, and is carried by these, these superstars, uh, like, a, like a John force. I mean, it, someone like Stevie, is is waiting in the wings we when stevie first went to nhra there was a ton of talk about him uh going doing some testing i believe in a in a dsr car or his relationship with dsr to potentially have some at least some kind of part-time ride there i haven't heard much about that
1: i think lately, a lot of that was but, rooted in his relationship yeah. with phil Schuler. Oh, yeah, who phil at the Shuler, time yeah. was crewing i believe when 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 stevie made his big push into nhra uh almost three years ago now there, Phil Schuler was still, I believe, co-crew chief on the Fram car, I believe, uh, alongside Todd Okahara, or he maybe had already transferred over to the U.S. Army car, but nonetheless, he still had a huge presence over at Don Schumacher Racing, and there right. was some belief being that... Stevie had spent several years driving Phil Schuler's personal car, the beloved Shadow, the original version, and then Shadow 2.0 after a crazy crash in Valdosta several years back. But there was some, some hubbub, some rumors that that could potentially happen. Obviously, it has not. But I do think that if, if there was a way that, that something like that could happen, even if it was Stevie getting his feet wet, wet, serving as a test pilot a little bit for John Force Racing, there is some synergy there. Maybe they don't know it. Uh, maybe it hasn't been explored yet, but if I'm NHRA or if I'm anybody that's a, a string puller of any sort in our sport right now, I'm working to try to make something like that happen. I'm not saying we don't have stars. We're going to be joined by a couple of them here in a few minutes. Alex Laughlin, Matt Hagen, two, I believe, absolutely infinitely markable, marketable young men that are competing at an extremely high level in drag racing. But you got to admit, Stevie Fast Jackson, it's just different. It hits different. He's got a following that is... I believe largely unrivaled in door slammer drag racing
2: be kind of, it kind of reminds yeah. me of Scotty Cannon of you know Scotty was the the standout pro mod guy he had the big personality the crazy hair he was kind of a Stevie uh in the, in the 90s Stevie. right yeah. and then he got picked up met Jim Gennard got picked up in the Oakley deal and and went to funny car so he kind of reminds me of that I think we even discussed or even had some stories correlating those two but it kind of reminds me i've never thought about it but that's
1: a, an absolutely perfect example or the way that that scotty cannon came up through the door slammer rakes really bur- built this hardcore fan following people that would i've had stories told to me about fans being willing to fight to the death on behalf of scotty cannon well he didn't, I remember he didn't. <laughs> he didn't need it. he didn't need your help He'd have happily done it himself, I'm sure. But I remember him or maybe Shannon Jenkins telling me a story about on the heels of a big IHRA Pro Mod rule revision that people were up in arms and Scotty was up in arms. They'd made a rule change, I think, putting weight or trying to slow down the Hemi, the supercharged Hemi cars to make the nitrous cars more competitive. And there was this big kind of upheaval in the in the pits. And fans were willing to fight on behalf of the driver they supported, right? There was the Scotty Cannon fans awesome. that were willing to fight the Shannon Jenkins fans over this this rule, blower versus nitrous, not only on the drag strip, but in the freaking pits. And I think that Stevie has something like that as well. We saw it on display when he dived into this whole no prep controversy and started going back and forth with Justin Swanstrom, calling him the Sesame Street outlaws and doing all these things. His fans immediately followed in and, and defended him and were there to support him and ride with him but he was met with some pretty significant resistance from a it's, world of no prep fans, but it's a, it's a very similar tale,
3: man. It's, it's, passion, passion, bad, man. it's, it's all about passion. more people or more, more, I guess, teams in the sport that would go down and handpick these guys, you know, like it's, it's, it's too bad that we didn't have more money in it to the point where if, if look how many, how many races Stevie fastest won and what all he's won them in. I mean, this kid has drone drove everything, right? Has a big following. Like you said, you know, he's done everything, right. You know, so you almost you'd hope that someday we'll get to a point where these big teams will go down and go, Hey, we need we're gonna bring this kid up, you know, kind of like you know, and, excuse me, in NASCAR how they do with, with with smaller teams and stuff, you know, they go down, they find their guy and bring him up and
2: I but, think the difference is though, if you ask these guys like Stevie, is that hit the pinnacle? These guys are so separated by their class and they identify so heavily with that's true. No, hell, I'm a pro stock racer. No, I'm a pro mod racer, no, I'm a, I'm a radio guy. They don't want to go funny car. Recently. Yeah, you're right, you're oh, right. Man, That's deal, that deal is done. I'm, I'm right here. I'm at the pinnacle. So it's less of more of like a farm league type thing to where yeah. you're continually moving up the ladder. And I think if you t- ask Stevie right now, probably his opinion has changed. I know we're gonna we should dive right into our next topic about pro mod car count at Indy. But you know, for the last couple of years, you probably ask Stevie, are you at the pinnacle? Do you want to do funny car? And he would say. No, nah, man, I'm, I'm good right here. I'm at the top. We heard
1: it from Dallas Glenn. I think that that was – it was something that our, our audience, I think, slept on. I slept on a little bit, and it's something that we probably should have talked about more. But right here on the show, Dallas told us two or three weeks ago that his aspirations – he's there. He's at the right. top of the mountain in his mind. He's racing in mm-hmm. HRA Pro Stock. I, I think about people like Erica Enders, Jed Coughlin Jr., Greg Anderson. I mean, these guys are iconic. They're legends. Door car they're people. heroes. They're, they're door, different. They, it's they, a different they're thing. They're at the man. pinnacle
2: of door car racing. They don't want to get in that play car or top-field dragster for the most part. Not because they couldn't do it or, they, or they're there. Any other reason, it's just that they see drag racing as a door slammer sport, which, you know, I – I can totally agree with, but I can totally. So what, what, what do you think it, about the car count going into Indy? We talked about the car count being down at Brainerd last weekend or a couple weekends ago, and we talked about them being or HRA, being so fortunate in our opinion that Indy is n- next on the schedule, in that it can kind of wash away the bad taste from Brainerd, which was a fantastic event, but lacked the car count. Okay. And at Indy, you know, everyone, even if it's just the only race they run all year. They're coming to Indy. What do you think we're in store for this weekend? There's a couple of things uh, that come to mind for me, Mike,
0: when
1: I think about the car count at Indy. I was so glad to see it up over 18, I believe is what you said, especially with back-to-back really poor showings in in Denver and Brainerd, respectively. But for me, it's a double-edged sword. There's a part of me that's obviously excited, and Pro Mod Fast Door Slammer Drag Racing is absolutely my cup of tea, so I can't wait. One of my fondest memories of – of the U S nationals is just being in the staging lanes amongst all those pro mod cars. Because I still remember when these cars and these drivers were kind of treated as, I don't mean to be uh, disrespectful or whatever, but treated as like a second tier category. They weren't really accepted into the fold of pro level drag racing, the way that I feel they deserve to be. And I remember Having experienced watching that kind of unfold and develop and being there like on a Saturday morning when they've got one more shot to get in its such a unique experience to have the final qualifying session come on Saturday morning, not the greatest track conditions under the, the bright sun. It's a very, very unique situation, man, but. As excited as I am to see some of the names on that list, it was great to see Jim Whiteley on there. He's really been making a push towards the Midwest Drag Racing Series. Keith Haney's program—that's a fantastic Outlaw Eighth Mile Pro Mod Series. He's he's way up there in the points, I think, in the top two or three, competing in that event or excuse me, that event series all year long. But it's great to see him, especially for what he's what he's done for the NHRA Pro Mod Series. I mean let's let's remember it may be the E3 spark plugs uh, NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series right now presented by JNA Service but for many many moons prior to that it was the JNA Service NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series I have there's no telling how much time and money the Jim Whiteley's poured Jim and Annie Whiteley, I should say have poured in to pro modified drag racing so to see his name on that pro mod entry list I think it's a big deal Jason Scruggs another one I think it's going to be a fantastic drag race I'm anxious to see a little bit of the the aftermath of the rule change. I think we started to see things head in the right direction as far as the parity is concerned amongst these different combinations. We've got a slew of them in there right now. I mean, we've got a couple of different cubic inch nitrous combinations, a Roots Blown deal, Pro Charger deal, and of course, the twin turbo char- charge combination, which has all but gone the way of the Dodo here in 2021. But still, to see those cars getting a little closer together, the performance much, much, I think much more representative of the parody that we saw in in the last few years prior to the inclusion of the pro modifier or excuse me, the pro charger combo. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I will I say I'm a little concerned that this is that moment we talked about a few weeks ago where car car count goes through, goes back up to where we want it. And all of a sudden we forget that there are still some issues. I think the NHRA Pro Mod series, I don't mean to pick it apart at all, but I I would love to see these guys racing for more money. I'd Mm -hmm. love to see these guys on, on Fox, you know, as part of the television broadcast, I, I do think there's more for Pro Mod. They deserve more in my opinion, but I am super, super happy to see it trending in the right direction, brother.
2: Well, I, yeah, I agree, and I think they needed to make a rule change, and I'm glad they did, even if it temporarily hurts the car count or if it's kind of like, you know, there's nothing that we can do to totally fix this situation for the rest of this year. Let's make this change. Let's get these guys some uh, some some laps under their belt with these rules, and let's focus on 2022 and riding the ship for next year. I think that's, uh, that's what they done, I, right? I, I really hope that that's what that they're turning their attention to putting their their minds together this uh off season and really getting this right for next year because I think next year is make or break for this class if this continues this is uh this is you know irrecoverable territory I think that they've got to really get it right over the off season go into it with a rule set that they're comfortable with and that they don't feel like barring any unforeseen circumstances they're going to have to change uh and, and and let it ride and assure their racers that that's their thinking and get these guys confident about getting on these entry lists.
1: I'm curious, Mike, I want to throw this out there. Does what's Stevie Jackson, I believe, is leading the NHRA Pro Mod points right now? I should have caught these notes. I was too busy making sure that I knew where Alex Laughlin and Matt Hagan were in the, in the realm of the NHRA point standings. But Stevie, I believe, is leading the point standings. What is this championship season? Like, what does this mean here in 2021, right? Because I wonder, is there going to be an asterisk?
0: I beside so. this
1: year. I mean, because no. I hate it for the racers because I know these guys want to race against the baddest dudes alive. They want Stevie Jackson there. They want Ricky Smith there. They want Mike Castellana there. They want those. They want Khaled Belushi. They want Justin Bond. They want the baddest dudes alive. Jose Gonzalez, right? But when you win a couple of these deals and you have some success and you don't have those big fields that we're used to, do you think it diminishes it at all, Mike?
2: I don't think so. Maybe in the short term, but in the end, all we remember is who won and who won the championship. I mean, there's a lot of these races like the 60s and 70s that these legends won where maybe were weren't full fields. Maybe we don't know all the details of that. It's fresh in our memory right now. But as time goes on, I don't think we put an asterisk on anything from from last year. We're certainly not doing it this year. Uh, these guys are out there racing, and I think that takes away from them too much. I mean, we all came into 2021 understanding that this was going to be uh, more of a complete season than last year. So I, I think just what what would be your reasoning for doing that besides, oh, we made some rule changes, you know, because right. this is that that's always happened. They're talking about adding another combination next year. You know, that's where I just believe any time that this has happened, it happened in IHRA. Uh, as well you got to get these rules you got to get these rules right and maybe make one change in the middle of the season uh, but you know to change the rules multiple times and have these new combinations come again you're you're not you don't even have the pro chargers under control and now you're talking about adding i think that's i mean i gotta tell so you i don't mean like, to send us down the
1: rabbit hole of talking about something else but i am going to tell you that i i am not in support of this this is a this is something that's getting a lot of traction right now. I'm getting a lot of texts about it, a lot of calls about it, that the potential inclusion of a scr- of screw blowers in 2022. I understand to some extent the idea or the notion that there's some cars out there that might show up, but we're not, I think the harsh reality, the real truth is we are not going to gain, I believe, a single touring car by adding that combination. What we will do, however, is make, a whole bunch of people that already have an established program convert to that because how that many, will How be- many
2: screw-blown cars that are out there? The last time I can remember screw-blown cars running quarter mile was a lot of the West Coast stuff and you had those guys that were running like 260 you know, or
1: more, two seventy. Just off right?
2: the trailer, two seventy. Frankie didn't Frankie go? Something oh yeah, I close think Mike that? Maggio
1: out on the west yeah. coast has been two seventy so plus. How, Frankie Taylor's been two seventy. I mean, again,
2: I, I trust me. I'm not a supercharger expert whatsoever. But how are you going to rein that combination in? What's is it going to have to weigh three thousand pounds? Is I don't gonna know what they're like going to do. No overdrive. I mean, how do you run those cars? to compete with these other combinations because they we we keep taking these combinations that have gobs of horsepower and having to knock the wind completely out of them. That is that's the issue more times than not. And again maybe Maybe the issue with with superchargers would be a mechanical limitation and not an electronic or otherwise limitation. It's a like step in the right direction, but, but I mean it's it's still they they they're just making too much power. I've had a handful of to guys come into me, that arena,
1: like oh man, there's a guy, you know, there's a couple of guys in the Midwest that would come run a handful of races, and I love that, and I and that's absolutely what we're after. But I just really don't think we're going to gain any touring cars. I think the best possible situation for the NHRA Pro Mod series is to arrive at a rule set that's going to, and I think leave it where it is. I don't, I do not think including another combination is a step in the right direction. I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody that, that disagrees with that mindset, but
2: I think it'd be my, cool. And I think the, I love seeing, I wish there were 10 combinations. Same. I think that that's what makes pro my badass. is just all the, but it's so hard but to it's, do, it's right? It's impossible to police and especially on quarter mile.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so, so hard to do in my opinion. And I think that, What what we the perfect scenario would be to develop, allow the rules to kind of settle. I think we're close. Get to a point where we're going to have maybe 16 to 20, quote unquote, touring pros. Get Jim Whiteley back involved. Get Jason Scruggs going to a majority of the races. Get Eric Latino back in the fold. There's Mike Castellana back in the fold. There's a lot of guys that we haven't seen recently. Mm -hmm. Sidney Frigo comes to mind. Always a player, has won races, always running at the front. Get some of these guys back in the mix. Find out what's preventing them from participating full time and then you know solve those problems obviously but go into every event with like a field of 16 18 20 best case scenario what i would call touring pros and then have the rules and i think this is probably something that would happen by way of these safety rules that stevie jackson uh, referenced last year the the enclosed drive shaft tunnel or the enclosed uh, tunnel from firewall to uh, the drive shaft enclosure it, maybe consider i don't ever want to loosen safety rules jace uh, excuse me stevie mentioned like a two race waiver something like that where if you wanted to get your feet wet in the nhra you didn't have to go spend 15 20 25000 changing your car in order to do so i totally understand the safety aspect of it but i also know the race the nature of racers and that's a very tough sell for a, a multitude yeah, of these well, guys brian
2: brian mccaddy's in the youtube comments uh, says use the Ricky Smith thought process, bring them back in a tenth slow and and let them work their way up. And I agree with that, but uh, to your point, Wes, that's expensive. You're, so you're going to convince these racers to build a combination that is blatantly handicapped and to work at it as they go. There's no patience for that. There's no budget for that. That's kind of what happened uh, with turbos, but I don't know. I Maybe it was just a different era or a different time, but those guys kind of, accepted that challenge and worked on it I mean there was a long time where turbos were you know laughed at or just like what are you doing with that go get you a nitrous car or a blown car and let's let's get out here but those guys stuck with it and with Pro Chargers Brian McCaddy also said they just kind of threw them in you know hoping to have that same kind of result and they were way ahead of the game so technology and just the era that we're in uh, and just these things how, happen fast, man. It's and it's expensive I just, to run this deal. You can't just ask someone to build a combination and hope that it will eventually be competitive. There's just take no way on to sign up for that.
1: Can you imagine a world where we had all the aforementioned superstars of the NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series, right, uh, going to all these events? But when the when the NHRA E3, the E3 Spark Plugs NHRA Drag Racing Series rolls into maybe St. Louis to Gateway International Raceway, excuse me, Worldwide Technology Raceway there across the Mississippi River from the from the Arch in downtown St. Louis, how cool would it be to see some of the stars of the Midwest drag racing series show up, right? Keith Haney's car, legal to run NHRA, minus all those safety rules. Todd Martin, you know, maybe he's got a roots blower program, or There's a slew, there's a handful of pro charger cars. Uh, Rob uh, Galagos, I think I said his name, last name, close to correct, but there's a handful of those guys that I think when it made sense regionally would turn up Right. And then you go out to the East Coast for the four wide nationals at ZMAX Dragway. You you get maybe Jay Cox, Tommy Franklin, Jason Harris to show up because their cars are legal. Right. Minus those safety.
2: Minus those safety
1: rules. And I just probably
2: the the, where it took a turn for the worse is that now that just singles out those NHRA cars to where they've got all that extra weight and the safety rules and these other cars don't have to have. And those guys are not putting those on Uh, and Maybe they see it as just not being necessary as well. Maybe a knee jerk reaction. Well, I don't think they're going to make a bunch
1: of, they're not going to put a bunch, hang a bunch of weight on their car or make a bunch of changes to their car. That's going to put them at a disadvantage where they race primarily. Yeah. is the main I think thing. the
2: era of hoping to pick guys from uh local, we talked about this last week. There's so many local series that these guys are excited about running and build their cars for. They're not also hoping to maybe jump into an NHRA race and go out there and probably, you know, get their ass handed to them because they're just, you know, unprepared or don't have the same. I mean, you used to see that, but now there's just too many different series to where it is. I don't think it's happening anymore. And the NHRA bro mod series is not the, maybe it's not the draw that it was, you know, when it used to kind of be the only game in town
1: it's an interesting discussion to have, man. And I, and I think that we will probably circle back around to this because this is a fun one to talk about. I think it's near and dear both of our hearts. It's pro modified drag racing. Yeah, history. Sorry. I get
2: fired no. out. We're talking Same about dude,
1: I, so do I dude. I mean, it's been central to what we do at drag illustrated for 15 years. Um, I got two things I want to touch on real quick. Uh, I'm going to, uh, JT, take me to a, a solo panel here real quick. I just, it would be An absolute tragedy for me not to make mention of the brand new issue of Drag Illustrated. JT, I'm going to click the button here. The brand new issue of Drag Illustrated magazine that just dropped on dragillustrated.com. Check it out. Galen Rollison, Britt Cummings on the cover of our special Sportsman issue. This is something that we do every year to celebrate the, the weekend warriors, the grassroots racers, the people that keep our sport headed in the right direction. So proud of this issue. Incredible cover story with Britt and Galen talking about their guaranteed million dollar drag race and just all things sportsman racing. We really wanted to use these two who I believe are doing fantastic things for sportsman level drag racing, big money bracket racing. They, they do all sorts of cool stuff, their team events, everything these guys do. I'm a big fan of, but I thought that they would be a fantastic group of people a fantastic duo to use to take the temperature of sportsman drag racing. This has been something that I get more emails about maybe than anything else and that's that how many million dollar ra- drag races can we have? SFGs did one. There's the the original million dollar drag race of course. We also have Galen and and Brits guaranteed million how many of how many of these major big money bracket racing events can our sport support and what's it do to every other event? I mean, it seems like every time we turn our head, there's another 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 100,000 to win bracket race. Just this past weekend, the Je- the inaugural Jag Spring Fling took off. I think they paid one day, one day. I mean, it's it's incredible the amount of money that's changing hands at these big money bracket races. And it's a fascinating fascinating story, how this has all come to be. So remember, log on to dragillustrated.com. You can check out the brand new issue of the magazine for free. We are big fans of giving our best content away. It's something that's near and dear our heart. It serves our mission to grow and build the sport of drag racing. Trust me, we have that desire to put it behind a paywall like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. But we know that the way we can do the most for the sport of drag racing is put this content What I believe to be the best storytellers in the the drag racing world, they operate here at Drag Illustrated, and I think we can best serve our mission by giving this stuff away for free. So you can check out the entire issue on DragIllustrated.com. You can also subscribe, and you will get the magazine emailed to you every month. So please check it out. Really proud of it. Tons of great photography in there. Really an all-round epic issue of the magazine, and I suppose without further ado, and guys, I have to say that I'm genuinely excited about this. I've been saying for years that our next guest, in my opinion, is perhaps the most marketable young star that our sport has to offer. He's great on camera. He's personable, charismatic. He's got a passion for drag racing that is abundantly clear. He's competed at the highest levels in a wide variety of drag racing disciplines and seemingly shocked the world in 2021 by announcing his move into top fuel competition friends give it up and i want a round of applause for murder tundra and mike carpenter here give it up for alex laughlin come on guys
4: Woo! cheer everybody what's cracking sweet I, mike
2: I, i'm actually a top fan right alex yeah you got your top yeah. fan badge yeah I, I do have a top fan i got badge. a top fan badge
1: <laughs> yeah dude like, if you literally like it. i think if you open your freaking facebook app i get a notification yeah, Yeah. seriously, hopefully everybody does. Yeah. Check
4: that out. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah and buddy. I tell, I'm going to real quick and I'm not going to derail this interview. So bear with me because I, I typically do. But uh, yeah. I'm going to say this real quick. There's a funny story behind that ring. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex is a, is a dear friend of mine, somebody I consider an, a real homie away from all this. Like, if we all quit drag racing tomorrow, Alex and I, I believe, would still be friends. And he, after he won, lights out. He was on the cover of, of Drag Illustrated magazine, holding up the, the, the money phone, the big stack of cash with Donald Long. Great moment. He had a ch- championship rings were created to commemorate that moment. Alex, being the kind of guy he is, gifted me one. Big moment for me. I opened the box, and it's, it's got the blue screw on there, representative of, of Alex's beloved C6 Corvette with the screw blower up top. Uh, really cool moment for me. Alex, I don't know if you know this. About three months after that, our Drag Illustrated offices got broken into, and all of my championship rings got stolen uh, that had been gifted to me from various teams and team owners. And there were some of my prized possessions, and that it was, was it. Tight. Was me.
2: I was trying to break in to get
1: that ring. Yeah. It did, dude. They it kicked the right. door off the hinges, robbed us blind. They did find about $750,000 worth of fake money that I had bought for the winner's circle at the World Door Slammer Nationals. And we have them on camera finding this money and, like, celebrating. They're like, oh, my gosh, this guy keeps money in plastic tins or in plastic tubs. It was hilarious. And they run out the door with all that fake
3: cash and my championship yeah, rings. And- they stole everything, and then they found the money, and then boom, they stopped. They didn't steal anything else in the whole office. It was, there was no. It was need. To. So it's like a
2: security. Oh, uh, and then deal every, to have that fake money, just every,
3: like- every, every like little town around our yeah. town, and all the convenience stores and McDonald's. I mean, everybody was getting these hundreds, man. <laughs> the cops—they couldn't even keep up with it. I think they were genuinely mad at me, to be so honest. This, and this cat walks in with this one day, and like, hey man, I found this, you know, just laying the weeds out here, you know. It, like, well, I ain't paying you for it. Give it to me, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, true but you JT, long story, Murder Tundra got it back for us. So
1: yeah. I'm glad he showed that off. Alex, um, I know we have limited time with you. You're headed for Indy. You, you've are you got big plans this weekend. Kind of want to dive into our first question. As someone who's done a whole lot of drag racing, Alex, with a considerable amount of success. You've won in pro stock at Indy. You've, like I just said, you've won radial versus the world in Valdosta. You won our own world door slammer nationals behind the wheel of the Caruso family Camaro a couple of years ago. And now you're taking on top fuel. Can you do us a little compare and contrast? Like start with the car itself. You told me privately that you maybe hadn't given these cars or their drivers the the respect or the credit they deserve. And I guess I just want to know how so.
4: Yeah, I, um, I've actually always said that, first off, can you hear me well? Very well. I'm okay, all right, perfect. Um, first off, I have always said, you know, that there can't be much to driving a top fuel car because you literally just hit the gas and hang on, burp, and it's over. Um, while that 100% is true as far as how long <laughs> it lasts, I was completely wrong about what it even feels like to your body. You know, I've drag raced literally everything except a bike and a boat, I think. And the top fuel car doesn't compare to anything else, you know, especially, especially the pro stock guys. Um, They, they do always dog on it. And they say that a pro stock car is the hardest car um, to drive. I don't think that's true after um, doing both or a lot of everything or a little bit of everything. I think that it's easier to drive a pro stock car. It's harder to drive a pro stock car perfectly. That's, that's the hardest part. I think that probably anybody can get out of a top fuel car, um, that because they're going so fast already that they're able to slow everything down in their mind and process it much quicker. So since everything's happening so much slower in a pro stock car, I feel like most people would be able to hop in and and make a lap. Um, but doing it perfectly, I, I do feel is a long shot. So that's the hardest part. Um, but as far as the top fuel car, man, just like, the acceleration, the G forces—it's like nothing I've ever experienced before, and that's what was the biggest shock. Um, I spent a full season in alcohol dragster. Um, it's the exact same car, same chassis, same process entirely, but it's just not as fast. And so I assumed going from an alcohol dragster into a top fuel car would be pretty similar. I didn't learn—I didn't have to learn how to drive the top fuel car because it is the same process, but I did have to learn what is happening to my body and what am I experiencing? Because it's it's just insane. Does
1: that speak to the fact that, that drag racers, especially in our nitro categories, are way more athletes than maybe they're given credit for? Because I know almost every time there's a the ESPN does some sort of an award ceremony or there's some major mainstream sports uh, company or media outlet starts talking about athletes and whatnot. Drivers are typically completely excluded from those conversations. And I'm just curious. I mean, we see it all the time. Someone climbs out of one of those cars huffing and puffing, and even the best, whether it's Steve Torrance or Matt Hagan, guys that are at the absolute top peak of their game, uh, or as well as relatively fresh faces. Paul Lee, someone that we've seen the last few years making full pulls in, in Nitro Funny Car. He gets out of the car, and I mean, it's short for breath. Matt Hagan gets out of the car huffing and puffing, man. Do you think that makes a great argument, what you just said, that the guys and gals that drive these cars are absolutely athletes.
4: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And while you are literally just going down the track for a matter of seconds, it is hot. You are in wearing a ton of heavy equipment, safety gear and whatnot. And I personally am seat belted into this thing so tight that I can't even take a full breath. You know, As far as trying to take a deep wow. breath before you stage or something, that's out. I mean, my spine is literally like buckled in half because I'm pulled down so tight in that thing. And actually, um, in Topeka, Kansas, where we, where we raced last or where I last raced, um, one of my interviews at the top end was talking about how I grew up watching John Forrest. He gets out of the car. He's huffing and puffing. And I said, you know what, dude, I get it because I mean, it's I don't even know if I breathe going down the racetrack because it is the most intense thing I've ever done in my life. And so pulling off the track, you're definitely starting to think your adrenaline's still pumping. Just like, what did I just experience? And it's one of the
1: things that I don't think people know that I find very interesting. And, and I, I don't, this wasn't exactly my planned second question, but I want to throw this out there. The, the staging process, I think a lot of people believe that driving a top fuel car is similar to anything with a clutch operate, you know, with a clutch where they're running that pedal, you know, easing it in and out or whatever. I think very few people realize that the a top fuel car or a nitro funny car has so much static clutch pressure that the clutch is all the way out. When you light that bottom bulb, you're just holding it against the idle with the brake. I don't think people fully understand that. Could you take us through briefly just like from backing up from the burnout and starting to pull, pull forward what your hands and legs are doing, what your hands and feet are doing?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So once you've done the burnout and backed all of, all the way up, you know you put it back in forward and you start creeping up. They get you close to the beams, right? They're holding you there. They look over the other guy or the car in the other lane is ready to go. You get the thumbs up. At that point, I go ahead and, and start easing out on the clutch while I'm dragging the brake. I light my top bulb, clutch back in as soon as they light their top bulb or vice versa, that's when you let the clutch out completely. And at that point you are just holding it by the brake handle. What I do is I actually let the clutch out and there's a foot pad between the two pedals, the gas pedal and the clutch pedal. And I hold my foot right there on that foot pad and you don't ever touch the clutch again, all the way through the shutdown. From that point on, once you step off, off the clutch pedal, you're just sitting there holding it by the brake. And as soon as the trigger drops, you stab the gas, It rips the handle brake handle right out of your hand and away you go. Hang on. I think it's a pretty incredible thing that is kind of just those little nuances. I don't know are
1: largely understood, right? People just, I think they think about pulling up to a stoplight right in their four cylinder Jeep or what have you and easing forward, right? Because the car in front of them rolled forward or whatever. And you think about doing that with, I mean, we've seen it many times going back to the athlete conversation that the, the leg strength that it takes to finesse a clutch pedal with that much static clutch pressure, as well as manhandling the car in the shutdown. We've seen a lot of drivers, especially new drivers, really struggle with these cars on the big end as you head in to get the laundry out and head into the shutdown. Can you take us through that a little bit, just keeping the car in your lane? Because that seems to be where most people have trouble is way down there at the big end. The car starts to want to move around.
4: That's hundred percent the case and it's so easy to get behind the car because the car and it's it's not necessarily physically behind the car, but your brain is is a hundred feet or 200 feet behind you. It is accelerating and moving at such a fast rate of speed that it once it starts drifting to the right or the left, whichever way you're trying to counter steer it, you're it's already gone way further than than what you're imagining. Um, in comparison to a door car, The hardest part about the run in a door car is the early side of the track. That's the part that when you let the clutch out or let off the trans brake, you know, you might go cross-eyed or lose your marbles there for just a second. But the top fuel car, one, it's already leaving much, much harder, typically a tenth of a second faster or quicker than a door car already. And it pulls harder and harder and harder the entire way. So the G meter is going up as the car goes down the racetrack where a door car, it hits the, the high G's early and it starts falling as you get down towards the finish line. And so that's the reason that it, it does get so intense um, further down the racetrack.
1: I think it's a, a really interesting thing that just, I mean, to your point, honestly, that I don't know that these men and women, the Alexis de Jorias, I think, especially the Leah Pritchett's, excuse me, Leah Pruitt's, especially the, the, the Brittany forces and, all these young women that manage to go out there and fight these machines down the track. I mean, it's inarguably controlled chaos and I just have a lot of respect for them. And I get surprised that I don't see more people like yourself that are clearly athletic, J.R. Todd, clearly athletic, Mike, Matt Hagan, clearly athletic. And I just, it makes me proud because I think that that's, that's who. Those are the type of people that I want to represent our sport in the mainstream, in the public eye. So it's it's a really really cool thing, and I appreciate the details. Kind of switching gears here, and I think we're gonna bring bring the the homie in, Mike Carpenter. Is that right? Mike wants to be a part of the door slammer question. So right I on. think I, I think I'm gonna speak for both of us here, uh, as dyed in the wool door slammer guys. I have to ask. Is this chapter of your career, the, the pro-stock, pro-mod chapter of your career or Radioverse the World or maybe even uh, no prep or like the big tire outlaw stuff you did at the Streetcar Super Nationals grudge event down here in Dallas a few, uh, few months ago, uh, is that something that you feel is behind you, man? And I guess I'm going to screw up here a little bit, but this might be a good time to interject. I got to be honest, man. I heard a little rumor that you were going to drive for Richie Stevens this weekend in pro-stock but the NHRA put the, the the kibosh on that deal and didn't let it happen. So I guess maybe I answered my own question or maybe you can elaborate.
4: Uh, perfect segue, segue there. Um, <laughs> I would say that the door car stuff at this point, for the most part, is probably behind me. I do absolutely love this top fuel stuff more than anything than I ever imagined. And it is what I am pursuing. Obviously, um, as far as funding goes, it does require you know a decent amount more. And so I'm really just putting all of my eggs in that basket um, I I was asked uh, by Richie if I'd be interested in driving his car um, at the U.S. Nationals this weekend in Pro Stock um, because he lives in New Orleans and they were affected by the hurricane. I told him, you know, I do hate the circumstances of what presents, pr- presented the opportunity, uh, but I said I would absolutely love to drive the car for him. I've driven, I've probably ran as many races in two cars in two categories um, as I have in a single category. And so I've I've done it a ton and I reached out to NHRA and they do have an old dinosaur rule in the rule book that says you can't run two pro categories. I could run top fuel and pro mod, but I can't run top fuel and pro stock. Um, I thought that was a huge bummer. Um, but you know, all you can assume is that there's a reason from way back in the day who, I don't know. There's got to be more to it than than what we can see. It. That's just what you have to assume, right? I guess I don't totally, and Mike, do you
1: have like some insight? Because for one thing I want to say is that they did, they have let the the Top Fuel Pro Mod thing happen. Because if you remember, Khaled Belushi, you know, did that. I believe Leah Leah may have done that a little bit. I think when she was driving the R2B2 Top Fuel or the fun, Pro Mod, I'm not totally sure, but it has happened. But there's two parts of this. A yet another example of the pro mod division not getting treated with the respect, in my opinion, my belief that they deserve. Mike, do you know something about this that my maybe I don't?
2: I really don't, and I mean it's probably pretty rare for it to happen at the same race. You might see guys that would do this, you know, alternate or go back and forth from top fuel to pro mod or something like that, but to happen at the same race, I think is what do you? Is do, what rare. is the
1: what is the concern, Alex? Did they explain what the exact what the issue is necessarily?
4: No, I, I didn't get any explanation other than, you know, it's been asked before and if they made an exception this one time that it would open up Pandora's box, um, for future issues. And that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, there must I'd be love more to, know to what it.
2: That is, or what the issues are. Is it a scheduling thing? Is it uh, a competitive thing where someone could compete like a Steve Torrance or somebody could compete in all three classes and they don't want that. I mean,
1: I kind of wonder if it has right. something to do with like uh, timing. You know, we, but, well, we we've like experienced that ourselves, yeah, right? Like that's what I we mean. we've experienced that ourselves. We had a situation at the World Door Slammer Nationals earlier this year, the Sea Tech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags, in Orlando. An interesting situation where Erica Enders was racing Pro Stock, obviously competing in our headline category, but also in Comp Eliminator, and it was just it, I admit that it was a bit of a dance, right? Because you did find yourself in a situation where, like, okay, we got to hold things up because we need to get Erica back up here to get her ready for comp, and we can't run those cars. Or it, it, I can see how it causes a problem, but I guess my question right now, in the grand scheme of things, you've got someone like Alex Laughlin who has a strong fan following, is really on the come up, right? Made this big move into Top Fuel, has sponsorship support, has companies like Hot Wheels following his, his movements and, and working with him frequently. It seems like it would be worth whatever is required to make this big moment possible because it would be, it would be the talk of town.
4: Yeah, I think it would be a cool deal. Um, Unfortunately, they, they shot it down, Um, you know, but you look back to you uh, just a few years ago, you had to be 18 years old to be able to compete in a pro category. Um, That was another old dinosaur rule. And they ended up changing that for Tanner gray. But I guess at the end of the day, I don't have the money to buy the rules.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: it usually well, comes to that, right? But
1: I mean, unfortunately, I do think that sometimes those things are at play, whether we like it or not. I mean, it's the way of the world, especially here in 2021, man. A, well, this a, a checkbook can change, can change things. I, I do find it. Interesting, especially with some of the car count issues yeah, that the NHRA has had in 2022, or excuse me, in 2021. It feels like anything we could do to yeah, get exactly. another rig in the pits because I look at it from so many different angles. Like when I put my promoter hat on, unfortunately, I can't help but think about another tractor trailer in the pits, right? Another Somebody to get an autograph or to walk by and take pictures, things like that. I mean, it really adds to the event, the event in a lot of different ways, more so than just on the racetrack. Um, interesting thing. But do you do you look back? I mean, you've had some really, really, I'm sure, fond memories of door slammer drag racing. It's it's winning all these big races, being a part of all the the big events down at Donald Long's Productions in South Georgia Motorsports Park. What of that world do you think that you will miss the most, Alex?
4: Man, I will say the door cars had my heart for the longest time, and I I will always always love them, and you know never regret the time that I spent in them. Um, they are they are difficult to drive. Um, they're a blast to drive. Um, it is it, it is a completely different feeling. Um, so you can't I can't quite say that that I just absolutely love the top fuel stuff so so much more because it is still very different um if i did have the opportunity to hop back in a pro mod or something um here in the future i would i'd would be happy to absolutely
2: uh, kind of on the same line we talked about stevie earlier and we talked about it being so rare really Scotty cannon being the prime example of door slammer guys going to the fuel ranks why do you think that is so rare that we don't see see more of this crossover so many people wanting to try something new or do it. Like in your case, we talk about your marketing partners and your sponsors. You're such a savvy marketer that you're doing it uh, to bring more exposure to those companies. Why don't we see this happen more often? And why is it so segregated?
4: I think there's probably a couple of reasons. One being because everybody assumes that the nitro stuff is such a, a, a bigger deal to fund. It costs twice as much. Right. Um, I will say that isn't completely the case because I'm doing this for not a whole lot more than what it was costing to run pro stock and pro mod. Um, But then secondly, all of the door car guys are just huge fans of door cars. And when you're around all of those people, they're the ones that are always like, Oh, nitro sucks, you know, and, and bashing it. And so I think that some people just don't ever, look at considering the switch just because they're they're really just tied and anchored down i hate to say in like a, a cultish way but um i don't know i probably never would have would have tried it to be honest other than the reason that all of this came together and just happened and scott palmer the guy that kind of uh showed you the door to
2: the top fuel he's kind of a pro top fuel crossover guy as well so it's, it's very interesting to think about, really. From a
1: business standpoint, Alex, I'm curious, and we always love talking about the, the business of racing here on the West Buck Show. I'm curious, like, we, we've talked about all your various marketing partners. I mean, I believe right now, I mean, and there's a lot of brands you represent. I, I'm curious how companies like Havilland, Hot Wheels, Powerbolt, Built, Tyga... How have they they reacted to this ascension to top fuel racing? Because I know you've told me before that many of these brands you represent don't necessarily care. They're not overtly concerned with what type of racing that you're doing. They, they see you as an ambassador for them. And as long as you're racing, as long as you're competing at a high level, they don't totally care where you go race. But I can't imagine racing top fuel and all this additional television exposure and all this additional media. I can't imagine it's, it's not being well received.
4: It doesn't hurt anything for sure. I will say that. And um, it started out um, just on paper. My contracts have said pro stock and or pro mod. And the only pushback I got was from one sponsor is because on paper, and you have to understand working with some of these huge corporate companies, when it gets down to legal and the paperwork, it just has to be what it says that it is. And whenever I did make the switch going into Denver, they did make an exception um, but they kind of started the weekend out with like, we're not really going to post much about this top fuel car because it isn't what it's supposed to be. And by the end of the weekend, they were posting it all over their own social media and they loved it. It's been huge. And just days after I got the amendment for the contract that has <laughs> got plus top fuel. That's hilarious, man. And I'm not really surprised at all. And I, I was
1: always proud, and I loved that story you told me about. uh, At the time, you were working with a really, really big, like Fortune 500, uh, very, very impactful company. This was right before COVID. That I thought, oh my gosh, if this happens, it's going to be so big for for drag racing. But I was so proud of you and of the situation where they didn't really care what kind of car you drove they they looked at you as an ambassador for their brand and they they saw value in the the motorsports and drag racing market which was a, i think a feather in the cap of drag racing but it, i can't imagine that it doesn't that it hurts as you said to be p- participating at the highest level of our sport there's a couple of things that i want to touch on just briefly before we we cut you loose man you have Really performed well. I know you're hard on yourself and you, you put a bunch of pressure on yourself to perform at a high level. And, you know, cutting a light in these cars is a challenge for anybody. We see the best in the business go 090 or 100 at times. You do, you have demonstrated, though, the performance to be in the thick of things. How proud of you, or excuse me, how proud are you of Scott Palmer Racing, Scott himself, that whole crew, uh, an incredible group of guys, because they're really giving you a race car. That you can go rounds in.
4: Yeah, they are, and they're they're awesome people. Just just to add on top of it, every single person there, every crew member, anybody that's under the SPR uh, tent there, they're just so happy to be there. Um, nobody complains about anything. It's it's all positivity, and the vibe is so good that that a lot of success. That's that's what it comes to. Um, The teams that you look around and not saying specifically top fuel or nitro in general, but, but any team, the people that, that are out there that even do have the horsepower that do run good, they don't, they don't all love each other. They don't, they don't get along. They're not all super happy to be there. And with that bitterness really, um, pours over into performance. Um, I owe Scott everything, everything, everything to, from allowing me the opportunity to license in his car, and for him to to get out of his own car in Denver and let me run it to the direction that we're heading now. I mean, this is it's, it's unbelievable. It's, some, it's a place that I'm at now that I never thought was achievable. It's not a place that I ever thought that I, I could reach. And uh, to, to Scott and, and his team, I just I, I owe it all to them for sure. There's a, there was a happening that I think is, is
1: important to mention that I, that I talked to Scott Palmer about and Scott and I, I don't mean to go all Stephen A. Smith on ESPN here and say everybody's my best friend, but I go way back with Scott Palmer. I've known this dude since like 2001 or two. So I've known him a really long time. And I was talking to Scott about your licensing process. And I think it's fairly well known at this point that you were intending to go out to the NHRA mile high nationals in Denver, of course, sponsored by Dodge and SRT, two of big longtime supporters of drag illustrated. So I want, to make sure they know we appreciate them but you were headed out there to run pro mod the elite motorsports camp decides that they're going to park the pro mod cars for for the time being you need a ride you reach out to scott palmer and i think the story here is the licensing process scott tells me this story that he goes hey man most young drivers most guys that are new to this they're going to want to go license at vegas They're going to want to go to the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. They're going to want to go to Z-Max or Indy, one of these big tracks, wide tracks, lots of shutdown. I told him, Alex, I'm sorry, but the car is already set up. The truck and trailer's out. I've got a match race this weekend at Wichita International Raceway in Kansas, which for the hardcores on here today, this is a nitty gritty little drag strip in Kansas, an awesome place I've been to many times with my family, uh, but not exactly the place that you want to earn your license in a top fuel dragster. Can you take me through that whole scenario? Because I think we're going to create some fans of Alex Laughlin here real quick, because not very many people would be willing to get their license at a place like that.
4: Well, you started it out with saying that most people would want to go to a Vegas or a Charlotte, um, the the long shutdown wide tracks. I 100% would still fall into that category. Um, but then you <laughs> followed up with the willingness, and that's what it came down to. I had to do whatever I had to do. And, yeah, I'll admit uh, it made the butterflies a little bit bigger for sure. Um, yeah, leading up the night before, I, w- I was a little nervous for sure. Um, the, the shutdown there, it is a little bumpy, um, especially for a car with no suspension, right? The suspension is literally in the chassis. So you're like going through the shutdown area and you feel the belly of that dragster (laughs) just scraping the ground. Um, It's not a place for a top fuel car to run for sure. But at the end of the day, Scott told me, you know, he's like, I'm not worried about you running this car. I completely have faith in you. And that's all I could base it off of. You know, he said that he had talked to Frankie Taylor, and if Frankie has the things to say um, about my driving, then it's good for him. And uh, that's all I that's all I could lean on is like is like, man, I don't know what's up with this car. I don't know what it's about. I don't know anything about it. Uh-huh. So I just have to trust Scott. Like if 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 he's if he's good with me driving it and thinks I can do it, then. God, I hope I can.
1: <laughs> I, I clearly, according to Scott, you answered the bell and you carried that momentum over to the mile high nationals. You qualified your first time out. You were there. We had some issues, I guess, in the first round of eliminations, but those things are going to happen. Drag racing is going to be drag racing, man. But you still, you were, you delivered for your sponsors. You were there. You put on a show. You did the burnouts. We got the pictures, the incredible wide angle shots of those glorious stands at Bandamere Speedway. Shout out to my buddy, Sporty Bandamere, celebrating his birthday today. But you, you got everything you needed. You did what you had to do and you're headed to Indy, man. How confident are you headed into this weekend? How excited are you to go be a part of the biggest drag race in the world in the most the most talked about, the most celebrated categories our sport has ever known?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's our Super Bowl. It's the biggest one that we've got, and to be racing it in the pinnacle category of NHRA drag racing, it's like... <laughs> Pinch me moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a softie sometimes. My eyes are kind of getting leaky. Ah, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. It really is. It's absolutely insane. Um, I was lucky enough to, to win the race in uh, Pro Stock back in 2019. And to be able to show up and run Top Fuel, Something's happening to my voice also. It's really weird. I got goosebumps. (laughs) I'm a big softy. I I appreciate
1: it, Alex. I appreciate that honesty and candid uh, uh, commentary here on this show, because that's what we're here for is unfiltered conversations about the sport of drag racing, the sport we all love, man. And we ask all the time for people to show us that you mean it. And right here today, man, you're, you're doing exactly that. I appreciate it, brother.
4: I I do for sure. And uh, man, it may be seven days away. Um, it may be seven years away, but one of these days I plan to hold a top fuel Wally. Where's my hand right there. <laughs> so it'd be cool to do it in Indy. Um, that's for sure. But. Well, we
1: cannot wait to see this deal unfold, man. Alex, thank you so much for the time. We look forward to seeing you in a couple of days. Please be safe. Best of luck to you, man. And we'll see you at the NHRA U S nationals. Good Thanks, luck, for Alex. Me. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks. brother. All right, guys. Well, this is one that I've been excited about for a while, Matt. Uh, excuse me, Mike. Um, bringing this guy on the
2: on the show, and, and we're know, gonna go ahead. Sorry, another oh, the uh, the the pro mod to funny car uh, crossover. Oh, I know. I cannot actually wait. Quite a bit larger than we're giving it's credit. It's more for.
1: significant than people realize, yeah. and I find it interesting because it's always almost always door slammer. ProMod 2 Fuel, there's not a lot of people that are willing to go back the other way. Like You go have conversations around the starting line when ProMod's running with, with a Jack Beckman or with a John Forrest or with a Ron Caps. Most of them want no part of, of door slammer drag racing, specifically ProMods, right? We've seen some wild and, and crazy moments from these cars over the years, and they all kind of look at it with a, with a certain amount of awe and, and jaw-droppedness, but uh, Matt Hagen has absolutely done it. Uh, he, he's made that climb. I got to tell you guys, let's uh, let's welcome to the show what I believe to be maybe the most physically intimidating drag racer of all time, the Unstoppable Force, a real drag racing hero, your NHRA Funny Car points leader, the Unstoppable Force himself, Matt Hagen. What's going on, brother?
0: Come on, guys. How are y'all? Can you hear
2: me? Okay. Yeah, man. Boom. I don't that's know, what you got to do. There we go.
1: Oh, my goodness. You got to get a whole <laughs> other guy. screen for that deal. Sweet. Are you on straight horse meat at this point in time, Matt? I mean, is that kind of the program that you guys just slaughter <laughs> man, them mean, out in the field?
5: Any, anything I can. And, you know, yeah, that's tight shirts and anything I can eat, man. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> tight shirts. Same deal here, yeah. brother. I like to go. Uh, I walk into Gap and I walk straight to the kids section. That's what I do. I walk into Gap. I go straight back, look for like you, a, a youth medium, a youth large. That's kind of where I like to to like to hang, man. But seriously, uh, Matt, let's dive right into this. And hey. thank you for being a part of this deal, brother. Truly appreciate it a lot. I know you're busy. I know you're getting hey, ready to thanks head for out having me on the to, show. The, to the big go. No problem, dude. Um, I'm curious. We had, sh- we had John Force on the show last week. And we didn't really dive too deep into this deal. You are in his spat a few weeks ago. John was kind of doing his own thing, talking about whatever John wants to talk about. But I would like to go ahead and do that right now. Uh, You seemed genuinely pissed off, to be honest. That felt like a real, honest reaction. That was an authentic moment. Can you take us through that whole situation? It was the talk of town, and then it kind of got, I think, a little bit overshadowed by the staging duel between Bruno Massel and and uh uh the McGayhe son, what am I Chris Hey, right? Mason Hey, right. my bad. Um, force rolls in, double bulbs you. I want your immediate reaction. What what exactly did you think in that moment?
5: Well, I really didn't know what was going on, you know, because uh rolled up there, you know, and our crew chief had just barely walked away, you know, from turning uh turning about, you know. it's one of those things where you're going like, What's going on? You know, I didn't know if his crew chief was still in the lanes up there or or you know he had already really actually rolled it in and double-bulbed like that Uh, you know for me it was just kind of like uh you know what's this you know and then so I was like well this dude's he's double-bulbed me you know and so I was like man maybe I should just let him sit there for a while you know what I mean like but I was like nah you know I'm gonna go on in here and and, you know do my thing and and whatever you know I mean uh, I went ahead and staged the car and he came on in I mean you know did my thing or whatever and we left, and you know, I, I guess it was I had a, a 59 light or something, or 56 or something to his 109 or something. I don't know what it was, but um, but you know, if it, it was whether it's a rookie or whether it's John Force or anybody, you know, I walked over there and I was just like, hey man, cut this shit out, you're a better driver than that. You know, you don't, there's no need for you to have to do that kind of stuff up there. And and he um, he came over to my, my pit or my tow vehicle and basically started poking me in the chest and telling me he was John Force and he could do anything that he wanted. He, he threw his shit down and stomped off. And, and uh, he's like, you know, you know, I don't, I don't have to answer to you or do anything like that. I'm doing everything within the rules and it's my, my right to do so. And I said, that's fine, man. I said, I'm just telling you to cut the shit out. I said, I got respect for you. And I, you know, I think that's disrespectful the way you did that. And, um, and that's just basically all it came out to me was, I felt like he was being disrespectful and he doesn't show any respect for anybody that he races, you know, when it comes to starting line stuff. And, you know, as a driver, you know, most fans don't understand it. But as a driver, we have a, uh, a procedure of the way we do things up there. And and the reason we talk about double bulbs is because, you know, it doesn't happen. If, it's a, if it was something that happened all the time, then no big deal. But we just don't do that as drivers to each other. So when it does happen, it's a show of either disrespect or that you messed up. And if you messed up and I walked over there and said, hey, dude, cut that shit out you know you'd say hey man sorry my bad won't happen again but he, he you know he took the time to come over and poke me in my chest and tell me that he was John Force. and you know it was just running through my head I was like damn it it's not gonna be good for me to, to grab a 72 year old man up here so I just kind of let him say what he had to say and move on but you know it's you know anytime you talk about John Force, you know you the keyboard warriors come out and you know I'm surprised they didn't hang me up on the end of my trailer and put you know stakes through my hands and everything else I mean it's uh, you just pretty much get crucified because he is John Force, But, you know, for me, I don't really care. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, it you doesn't matter whether Matt. it's a rookie or John, you know, so I'm going to call you out on it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's just my thing, man. Like, I, I've always wore it on my sleeve, and it is what it is, and I call it how it is, you know. And, and um, you know, I knew it was going to kind of come down and all the John Force warriors were going to come out and all this other stuff, but it doesn't really affect me. At the end of the day, it's a respect thing. I felt like he was being disrespectful. I called him out on it, and that's what it was.
1: And does those do those type of things ever see resolution, or is that just like, "Hey, man, you avoid me, and I'll avoid you"? Because I mean, obviously, I mean, let's be honest, you guys aren't going to street fight in the in the hallways of the hotel or anything. But I mean, moving forward, it's like, "Hey, you've you basically made. Let me know how you feel. I've let you know how I feel, and we'll carry on with business."
5: Yeah, and I'm a, I mean, business is normal for me, man. And you know, he, John's getting what John doesn't realize. You know, it's something that so so blows my mind. With John, is that. He thinks that he's doing something by rolling it in deep like that. He doesn't even realize that he just swaps numbers. He actually, his crew chief should be patted on the back every day for for being able to run so well and still have lane choice sometimes for him rolling it in that deep, you know. But John, well, you know, he's been under drag races so long, and it blows my mind that he doesn't understand that by him rolling it in deep like that or playing games up there like that, it's only taken away from his ET and his elapsed time out there to be able to have lane choice and do different things like that. And you know, for me, like business is normal because. John's getting left on anyway, you know what I mean? So it's like, why would I change anything I'm doing, you know, when he's up there trying to figure out something to do so he can try to find some advantage to leave because he's not leaving well anymore.
1: It's interesting to me because we hear so frequently from racers, Matt, that, you know, don't care who's in the other lane, right? I don't, I'm running my own race, but, and I totally respect that. And I would never, ever try to convince somebody to look at it differently, but I will argue that like in every other sport I mean, it, it may be a nameless, faceless person, but you learn. We hear that a lot in mixed martial arts, right? The Nate Diaz is fighting Conor McGregor, and, and it's Conor telling you that I don't care who that is. I don't care who he is. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care his style. A fight's a fight. But the truth is you learn the nuances of that opponent, right? You learn about yeah. what they like to do. You learn about their preferences. Oh, yeah. How much is that part of your strategy? Because I think that that's a real thing that happens that racers don't like to talk about. I mean, I'm here to tell you that yeah. the, the entire world respects you, Matt, and the racing world respects you. But the, but the truth of the matter is, I believe, whether racers are willing to admit it or not, that you race, you know who's in that other lane. You know what they like to do, you know their tendencies. Oh, yeah. I mean, is that true?
5: A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, you know, no, well, John, you give him a six count before you go in because he's slow to come in. So you don't want to be out on the pedal very long. So you go one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, all the way to six. And then you pull your pumps on and you come in. Because if you come, you pull your pumps on and come in, you're sitting there with your, your you know, your, uh, foot off the clutch and the, you know, pumps on, you know, for a good six second count. And then he's going to take another four or five to come in, you know. So, so that's after you, you're out, right? right?
1: I mean, you, you got that thing pour it both all yeah. the fuel it'll clutch take. Is getting
5: hot, everything. Yeah. It's, it's a very the interesting. Car and thing, everything. Man.
1: No, I love, I think that it's important that these things get talked about. I mean, personally, you know, putting back on my Vince McMahon well, like, hat, like I'm looking at that all year long. Like, hey, let's, how can we celebrate and talk about these individual matchups? Go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you off. Cruz.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. Like Cruz, he likes to, he doesn't like to turn a top bull ball first. You know what I mean? So like he'll wait till the first person's in a lot of times, you know, or like Alexis, she's the same way. She doesn't like to be a top bull ball and stuff like that. So you do, as a driver, learn, um cadence of other other drivers now like robert height like dude i love that guy's style man like that's someone out of the force camp that i have so much respect for that's a great lever that right. races his race car that puts the car in there he's he basically does a burnout backs up as quick as he can stages a car as quick as he can he's like let's go race boom boom and that's my type of style racing like i love running robert because it's no games it's no bullshit up there it's like let's let's put this cars in here let's go race our race and he's a great lever You know what I mean? So you got, you're going to be up for Robert because he's like, he's going to tattoo me if I don't get up on the tree for him, you know, but there's no games either. It's just like, let's just go race the car. You know what I mean? And that's, that fires me up, man, because I'm like, this guy's no BS. He's coming in here to race. He's got a good race car underneath him. He's a great lever. And that's, that makes you as a driver go like, I better have my stuff together. You know what I mean?
1: It's fantastic, Matt. I switching gears a little bit, but not a lot. Um, I mean, Hey, I gotta be honest here. I've been texting you like immediately following every single time you're on camera lately and it's not like i'm trying to be obnoxious or a bother but i genuinely think that it's important for me and for the world to give you some positive reinforcement and and pat you on the back for what i believe has been a real coming of age uh as a drag racing personality i mean let's be honest you've you don't lack resume-wise, right? Not one, not two, but three rings. You you're, you don't need any more accomplishments. A real shot at a fourth here in 2021. Accomplishment-wise, you've done it all. But I truly believe I've seen you enter a new phase of your career when it comes to doing interviews and like to use some more pro-wrestling talk, cut promos. I mean, there were wrestlers back in the glory days of the WWF, still today, that were horrible wrestlers. Horrible. I mean, Hulk Hogan is known as one of the worst wrestlers of all time but man could he cut a promo right man could he sell it and that's why hulk hogan ascended to the levels that he did and i i just i'm just curious has this been a conscious decision for matt hagan to kind of like let it all hang out a little bit to, to let yourself go or has this just kind of happened organically as you've gotten more comfortable with who you uh, you are as an adult and a grown man here here and now
5: well, it's just that I still have so much passion for what I'm doing, man. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, even after 13, 15 years, I mean, if you count pro mod now, you know, I guess it's closer to 20 years. I just still love the sport and I love what I'm doing. And I love that I'm still able to do it, you know? And so the, the passion for me is just like, you know, when I won, uh, you know, Denver, it was just, it was something that I've been wanting to do for so long. And somebody put so much pressure on you all the time to do it. And, and we haven't got it done. And to do, to do that, to, to, you know, to win that, you know, it was just, it was unbelievable. And it just, it was just like, uh you know, just the, the emotion and the passion and it just all pours out, you know, and, and it's, it, but it's like that for every race. And I think that sometimes, you know, it, you get, you see guys like Force or Tony Schumacher or different things like that, that, that's won all these races. And it's just kind of like, it almost seems like it's just like they, they're not excited about it sometimes, you know, and it's just like, For me, I just can't, you know, every time we, we, we hold a trophy up, it just the, the, this, the, the passion before it comes out, you know, and it's just, you work so hard and, and it's so humbling. This is one of the most humbling sports I've ever been involved with. And, you know, it's just like, you can do it all right and still get it wrong because you're at the the mercy of the parts and the pieces. And it just, it, it takes everything to do it right. And for me, you know, it's just like, I'm just enjoying life, man. And I'm just living it and loving it and, i um, blessed to be doing it and you know just very very grateful you know what I mean and it's just there's so many people that that want to do what we're doing I mean you just had Alex on the on the show here and I uh, was listening to some of that and it was just you know that's a great kid and he's going to do great things you know and but you know his, his next goal is to hold up a Wally and top fuel you know and and so and and that's a huge thing to do there's a lot of people out here that haven't done that you know and and uh when 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 that happens it's a special moment that you know nobody can buy it nobody can can you know you, you can't go out here and steal it you can't do it i mean you have to earn it you know and same with the championships but what I, you know some people forget not talking about just a championship just to earn a wally is incredibly hard to do sometimes you know i mean you think about these guys like johnny gray and morgan lucas and all these people that, that had unlimited unlimited amount of money you know look at alexis de you know or her dad owns paul mitchell you know i mean like unlimited amount of money you know and it's not, not something that you can buy. You know what I mean? You have to put a group
0: of people together.
5: Right. I mean, we've seen the
1: inability to buy victory in drag racing, send people into retirement.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does. I mean, it just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, so you have to have a group of people that work hard, that are motivated, that are driven, that are passionate, that are smart, you know, and, and that's really been the success of my career. As I've been able to put smarter, harder working, more motivated, very driven people around me. And I just don't mess it up, brother. That's all what it comes down to.
1: It's been an awesome thing to see, man. And I, I appreciate that because it's – I text you right after I was watching the, the Mile High Nationals on, on Fox trying to, to, to show my support. And you go through the traps and you're whipping the wheel and you get out and you're grabbing the camera and losing your mind. And I immediately text you like, I don't care if you – don't read this for six weeks. But you need to hear – that that's what we need to see from you. That's what we need to see from the stars of our sport. Because you just, and as soon as you demonstrate to us, not just me, the entire racing fan base, how much this means that you're willing to lose your mind, and it's this huge celebration, this huge moment. I heard stories about you blowing off interviews and stuff to stay down on the starting line and engage with fans. Those are the stories that, in my opinion, create legends, right? Folk heroes in our sport. And I, I appreciate you really putting on a show for us, Matt. Um, you're in the points lead right now with some really heavy, heavy hitters packed in right behind you. Bob Tasca, <laughs> Jr. Todd, uh, John Force, yeah. Ron Caffs, Robert Height, Cruz Pedregon making some moves here as we head into the playoffs. Um, the countdown, If you, uh, excuse me. Let's go back to you getting your feet wet in a door car on those nitty-gritty eighth miles uh, in, throughout the Carolinas, running Pro Mod and IHRA. I remember shooting you for the cover yeah. magazine. I think you were at... Uh, it was somewhere. It was an IHRA national event, maybe in Houston. I'm just curious. What's it like? You were like
5: one of my first interviews, man. I think
1: so, dude. I was so, I was just so excited to see a young, cool guy. Like, that's what I saw. Like I looked at our sport at that time and all the, the, the big names for the most part were like 25, 30 years older than me. And I thought from like a growing the sport perspective, man, we need young, like clean cut, marketable people behind the wheel of these cars, it's important. It can't just all be old rich guys. Like We <laughs> need people like this. And we, we jumped right on the Matt Hagen bandwagon. And I'm just curious, all those years later, Mike, JT, we would have been smart to have the, the cover from like 12 or however many years ago. Somebody should dig that up real quick. Mike, if you can find it, find it. But I'm curious, what's it like seeing your name, not only amidst a slew of first ballot Hall of Famers and world champions and legends, but out in front of them? I mean, is this a, did you ever anticipate this getting to this point, Matt?
5: No, I really didn't. I never even really thought I'd be in a fuel car, you know, and uh, I uh, had a sponsor at the time, you know, we all know Evan Noble Torco and, uh, and, you know, at the time he called me up and was like, Hey, I want you in a fuel car. And I said, man, I don't know if I want to go that fast, you know? <laughs> and so uh, he was like, well, here's 3 million there, or I'm going to give it to somebody else. And I was like, I'm not going to turn down 3 million bucks, you know, so. So we jumped in a, in a funny car there with Creasy and then Wil- Wilkerson's car. And, uh, you know, and, and it looked like I was so far behind the race car. It looked like a, a snake going down the racetrack, you know, and it was just all over the place. And uh, I come back and I thought Wilkerson was going to give me a high five because I got it to the end. And he was just like, don't ever drive like that again. He's like, kid, that is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things. It's a huge learning curve. And I don't think you're ever ahead of these cars. I think you're with them. You know what I mean? You try to be with them. But. I just i never imagined being here to be honest with you and uh, just blessed to be here and blessed to be having the, a group around me and dickie venerables i mean he's uh he's unbelievable man i mean we've, we've i guess if you look at our winning record um in the last you know 10 years or so uh uh compared to everybody else's i mean we just we pretty much our record kills it as far as wins um you know combined with uh the amount of uh you know, time that we've had in the sport uh so dickie is getting it done man i mean and he's He's un, unbelievable. I mean, one of the, I wouldn't trade him for anyone out here. I know everybody likes Jimmy Prock and you got, you know, a, a bunch of folks out here that, that just, you know, um, that can get it done. But I just wouldn't trade Dickie for anybody. I mean, he's, he truly stands out and shines when he needs to. He's a great racer on Sunday. He knows how, you know, and he, he leans on me too. You know I mean? If you, he's like, man, if you give me a couple hundreds on the tree, I don't have to push it as hard over here. We'll go down the racetrack, we'll turn the wind light on, that kind of stuff like that. So we, we truly do try to race on Sunday. We don't just go out there and try to lay down the, the fastest number or whatever we can. I mean, it, it is really racing on Sunday, you know? And, and we, we, go, we talk about everything up there in the lounge, the data, um, he goes over the graph with me and I, you know, I tell him where I felt like it was a little fast or had too much wheel speed here. And we just, we really do share a lot of information up there with what I'm feeling in the race car what he's seeing on the graphs and the calls and the changes that he's making. So we really have clicked, especially over the last six years, I think it's been really good where we're, we, I feel like we're a solid unit as far as what we can talk to each other and share information. And my assistant crew chief, Mike Knutson, he's going to be a crew chief one day, very soon, probably within the next couple of years. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to hate to lose that guy, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where you you're always, always happy when someone can can move up and step up and, do better for themselves, and he's one of those guys that you, you watch, you want, the next couple of years, he'll end up being running one of these cars out here, um, and whoever has him is gonna end up with a really good crew chief. You know?
1: I've heard that uh, uh, Dicky is exceptionally calm. Matt Ambrosiak from uh, Matt with the hair, I call him, from Dodge um, in the JRT group, yeah. he has told me in the past Matt said that he's, uh, you know, Matt's been around a lot of different crew chiefs or whatever, and I think, you know, he kind of leans to the media side or whatever, so a lot of us in the media, like, we feel like we're bothering people, right, asking questions or whatever, and he said to me that he's, out of all the crew chiefs he's encountered, you know, most of them get all up in arms on Sunday or up in arms around time to run the car, don't bother me, leave me alone, I'm thinking, staring at the ground. Uh, He said that's not the case with Dickie. He goes, you know, you can walk up to this dude, like, eight minutes before we fire the car for the final. And if you ask him like, what time is it? He's just going to tell you like, there's, there's no, and I find that kind of, do you, does that, how much does that benefit you that laid back calm coolness that you, that people seem to see from Dickie
0: Venables?
5: Yeah. I mean, he's pretty laid back for sure. I mean, there's, there's times when there's a lot of chatter in my ears sitting in the car, you know, and I almost want to just turn my mic off, you know, <laughs> but they're making decisions and calls on the wing and, clutch and tire pressure and you know uh fuel and everything, you know. So it's like there's a lot of decisions being made a lot of times. But Dickie is super laid back. Um, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. So he's seen a little bit of everything. And I think that, you know, with, with decisions that he's makes, he he is very confident in him, you yeah. know, most of the time. I mean there's very been very few times that he's come back and he'd be like, damn that wasn't what we were supposed to do you know what i mean most of the time and that's what i love about Dickie too is he swings for the fence man i mean he's you know with with when you, i guess it was when we were pitching these headers back and uh you know we were laying down these numbers between us and, and jimmy proc you know what i mean and robert height uh, i mean it was just like record after record after record after record and it was just like this is this is cool you know what i mean like it was it was, it was one of those things where you you put your mouthpiece in and you pulled your belts down tight and you're like we're gonna go for a ride you know what i mean but It uh, it just it was unbelievable, you know, and uh, it was something that uh, I'll never forget the rest of my life. You know, as far as even winning championships and stuff like that, just when we were we had we were pushing these cars with thrust and and uh, being able to run as fast as we were. I mean, I went 338. I think Robert went 339. I think he still holds a record, but we were going to top that 340 mark, you know, and and, um, you know, I went. I was the first ever in the he's the first ever in the three eighties. And then I missed missed it by one run by being the first ever in the three seventies, you know, and Robert got it. But, um, but at the end of the day, we, we, we did it the next race, you know, and I was like, man, come on, Dickie couldn't have done it one, one race <laughs> earlier, you know, but, but it, uh, but it was one of those things. I think it's awesome it just, to it hear that.
1: Awesome. Like the, how much that those type of individual accolades mean to you guys as a racer.
5: Oh man. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I mean, cause we were setting world records like left and right and, and these cars were just running like crazy and it was just like that's what we're here to do we're here to put on a show for the fans and you know and that's you know talking about what the top end interviews and stuff like that and passing my trophy around and and staying with the fans down there i mean i uh you know everybody wants to rush you up to media and i was like the media can wait or the media could come down here to me and we'll get an interview but these people stayed after the race to come you know take a picture with you and get an autograph and you know, hold the trophy. I mean, most people have never held a Wally before, you know, and, and, you know, as a fan, when they do that, it's, it's something super special and they'll bring the pictures back next year and have you sign them and stuff like that. I mean, it, it truly means something to them, you know? And so, you know, I know that media is important. Don't get me wrong, but, but, you know, if it's that important, they can walk their ass down there to the, to the lanes and, and get an interview, you know what I mean? And get out of their AC for a little bit. I've been sweating all day. They can sweat a little bit too. Right. But, uh, but no, it's just—I mean, the the top-end stuff. It's just one of those things where uh, you know we are here to put on a show. We are showmen, and and you know John Force says it best, man. I blew up one time and I split my eyes open. You know, like on my uh, right here when you cut your eyebrows, you know, like it bleeds a lot. You know, just whenever you yeah. nick your head, it bleeds and stuff. And uh, so I, I my head had rotated in my viewport in my helmet and it split my my eyebrows open, and I was bleeding and I was in the ambulance and stuff, and and Force opened up the the uh, the ambulance he said kid you okay I said yeah man I'm all right he said well next time he said I'm glad you're okay he said but next time roll around on the ground and act like you're on fire he said you'll get more tv like that you know and <laughs> I said you're crazy man
1: oh that's awesome but hey man you talk about a guy who gets it right I mean it's uh and I, I do think yeah. it's it's worth mentioning that y- you can't count that guy out I honestly it's amazing to me no. that he's in the thick of things the way that he it, is man. right now Right. I mean, it's incredible that he's how is it at 72 that he's like in the countdown, like he's a real threat.
5: Brother, I was sitting in the car the other day and I was sitting there, you know, and I'm a little fat and out of shape or whatever. But I was pulled down tight in the car and I was going like, this sucks. Like I was sweating (laughs) my ass off, you know, and and uh, then I looked over and I was like, hell, force has been sitting in there longer than I have. I said, "Why why don't you suck it up and get over it? You know what I mean?
0: Oh,
1: it's I'm I'm massively impressed by it, man. It's uh it's an incredible thing to think about someone I get. I get I can see it both ways. There's a part of me that goes, man, John, it's time like get out of the way. Like and I've said that to him. I mean, I don't mean it disrespectfully. I mean, he's my I'm the biggest fan. I really am. But I, sure. I do. He absorbs so much of the, the yeah. spotlight that's available. Right. Like if there's 10 units of of stardom or, or light to go around at an NHRA national event, shit. You know, John gets six, seven of it, right? Six, seven units. So it leaves three to go around. Yeah. And there are times that I'm going, hey, the more we phase him out, the more, you know, attention that we can give to these, these up and comers and these other very talented, very well, deserving
5: talents. And NHRA, whether they like it or not, are going to have to bring a new star up, whether whoever that may be, Alexis Azoria or JR Todd or, or Ron. I mean, somebody young and up and coming, they're going to have to put their, you know, their limelight and their stardom around someone new in the sport. I mean, it just, the the, the sport won't survive if they keep continuing to push John force. I mean, he's, he can step back and be a great team owner and people will come out to see him because of that stuff, but the sport needs a new face and a new name. And it just, it, that's the only way it's going to survive. You know, I mean, it's one of those things John has done all that John can do for the sport. I mean, he's just been tremendous for it. Um, there's no way around how much he's won and, and what he's done for it, you know I mean? You can't take that away from the guy at all, you know what I mean? So he is the star and always will be the star. But at the end of the day, the NHR has to start bringing up a new star to for, for people to root around and to, to promote and to be on the billboards and all that kind of stuff. And whoever they pick, it's fine. It doesn't, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter. They just have to pick someone new, you know? And it's just one of those things where um, they have to start promoting that now, you know what I mean? Because it's one of those things where it's not gonna happen overnight you have to create a superstar inside itself, you know?
1: It's a dedicated, I mean, it's a real craft. I mean, we see it all the time. And I mean, you've seen, we've seen the NBA do it. We've seen the NFL do it, right? I mean, for years and years and years, Tom Brady was, I think, inarguably the face of the NFL. Anytime there was a highlight, anytime there was a commercial, anytime there was a clip or an endorsement or, or a PSA or whatever, they're throwing Tom Brady at it. In recent years, Patrick Mahomes is becoming the face of the NFL. And that's a strategic, Conversation, like that's something people are sitting around a boardroom, going, "Hey, we've got to get behind this young guy. He's got a following. He's charismatic. He's got all the intangibles. He's successful on the field." I think the same can be said for the NBA, UFC. It's no secret that I'm a big combat sports fan, and it's like you look at that sport, and they've recognized there was a time when, uh, what's the, what's a good one? Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz were the face of the UFC, but as those guys started to age, the UFC recognized, like, okay. Who's gonna be next, right? And it's gonna be this guy, and it's gonna be this guy, and they recognize that they've got to be building stars while they have a star. I mean, Conor McGregor, I think, still the face of the UFC, but they were developing him while they had Ronda Rousey. So it's a strategic thing right. that I would love to see the the NHRA uh, embark on. I guess to let you go, Matt. and I know you got you gotta bounce here. What's uh? I mean, just look forward to Indy. The start of the countdown. Are you are you feeling are you feeling good? I mean, a lot of teams like to see this we're starting to get momentum at the right time i feel like you had kind of momentum since the onset but do you guys feel like you're going to be able to maintain this momentum here in drag racing's playoff series
5: you know it's a dogfight out there right now i mean it's it's split between five or six cars and it's one of those things where you know it's it's anybody's you know it's just you, you can have a bad race or you can have a bunch of good races you know it just the thing about the countdown coming up is you got to win two or three of those races out of the six you know and um uh, to, to be able to put a ring on your finger and um we know what we got to do i feel like dicky is really starting to get his confidence as far as uh we finally got our power back you know and when you get your power then you have to kind of like bring your fuel curve to it and um what i'm seeing up there in the lounge is that he's really getting a handle on the fuel curve and you know the power has been staying good the last couple races and so that, that shows a lot of confidence in what he's doing, and then that gives me confidence on the starting line to do what I need to do. Um, you know, I feel like my lights have been great, so I'm just trying to uh, do my job, not be the weak link, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, give us uh, all the advantage I can up there on the starting line. But my confidence in Dickey has been growing the last couple of races, and we've been turning on wind lights, and I think that... It- Oh, no, he just the good cars out there you can't knock any of them out there i mean that's it's just been you know basically a a swap you know back and forth with
1: oh we're losing Matt a little bit here i bet he's getting a phone call if i had to guess we'll bring him back right here let's see if it'll pick back up apologies guys we lean on the World Wide Web, and it does so much for us so well. But every once in a while, we have a little bit of technical difficulties. We were about out of time with Matt anyways. I think we may lose him. Murder Tundra, I'd ask that you reach out to Matt real quick and tell him that uh, we wish him luck, and uh, we, we, hope, to, we see, hope to see him again soon. Be safe and uh, take care this weekend at the U.S. Nationals. I'll be sure to swing by and see him. Is that uh, you, you handling that, Murder Tundra? All right, guys. Well, hey, we are headed into, what is this, the second hour Right here on the Drag Illustrated YouTube channel, of course, also streaming on Facebook. Real quick, I would like to to throw out here, please click like, click share, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're uploading content to our YouTube channel every single day. I've challenged the team here at Drag Illustrated to make sure that we have a new video to upload every day of the week. We have hit that mark for the last several weeks consecutively. Check out the Drag Illustrated YouTube channel. We would love to have you take part of that content, be a part of the conversation. And I wanna just say thank you From the bottom of my heart, not only to to my team here, uh, our guests today thus far, Matt Hagen, Alex Laughlin. These are incredible ambassadors for the sport of drag racing. Um, But I want to thank all of you. The, The comments, the engagement, all these thoughts and feelings that we get from you are so important. And I just... Please keep it coming. Let us know where you're watching from. Let us know if you're headed to Indy. Please participate in this deal because that conversation, that real interaction makes all the difference in the world. And I do think we got Matt back here real quick. Matt, we lost you for a second. I just wanted to tell you, buddy, Thank you so much for being a part of this, for for kind of letting yeah. the hair down and, and giving us the the real dirt. Please right. be safe this weekend at the U.S. Nationals. Good luck. We uh, we genuinely hope you you leave there with another Wally and in good uh, good shape for a fourth <coughs> ring. Uh, I I plan on coming by and seeing. Let's hang out a little bit.
5: Uh-oh. Yeah, do that, man. Uh, and, hey, listen. Uh, uh, yes, I wanted to say thank you to, you know, yeah, I want to say thank you as well, man, Wes, I, you know, your career was, you you basically were on the scene before I was, man, and I've always kind of looked out, looked up to you, man, you know, and I'm really proud of what you've done out here and, uh, you know, promoting the sport and what we're doing and really proud of you, brother. So it uh, goes a long ways and I appreciate you keeping up with me as well.
1: Thank you, brother, man. I uh, I appreciate it a lot. Been a big fan for a long time. Uh, I just have a ton of respect and admiration for what you do, and I'm glad I'm glad you notice. It means a lot to not only me but everybody that's a part of this deal. I I get to be out front a lot, but there's a whole lot of incredible people that have made this thing. It's hard to believe, dude. 15 years we've been printing Drag Illustrated magazine. Yeah. We've sent 100, 170 issues of the magazine to print. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of, of what we've done. And uh, I can't wait to see what what happens next, man. So thank you for being a part of it all these years. I look forward to Thanks, seeing brother. you this weekend. I'm looking for like a meal plan and a workout program. Thanks, brother.
0: <laughs> Just
5: <laughs> tight shirts, you, man. Tight shirts. See you, brother. <laughs>
1: thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is uh, this has been a barn burner. Am I wrong? Real quick, before we we throw a introduce to our, our next guest here. I, I want to bring uh, my partner in crime, Mike Carpenter, on here, man. I, don't, I hope you heard what Matt had to say because you've been a huge part of Drag Illustrated Magazine almost since the onset, uh, literally since we got this whole deal started. You've been right there beside me through so much of it, man, and it, it's, it feels good, right, to just to know that someone as accomplished as Matt Hagan Uh, appreciates what we do, man. So thank you. And I just wanted to make sure that you heard what the man had to say because it's a, it's a big deal the
2: whole time. You can't, you couldn't miss some of the stuff he was saying. I mean, that kind of stuff is why we're here, why we're doing this, right? Uh, You see what you see on the NHRA broadcast, but to get all that insight and uh, really just raw emotion and opinion from Matt. um, And then also the raw emotion from Alex as well. You really see why, we dig into these guys, right? Why we feature these these types of guys and, and why we feel like they have a story to tell. So it's just awesome to see those guys coming on here and, and just letting it all hang out. It's awesome,
1: man. So I guess uh, without further ado, as we head closer and closer to the finish line, um, guys, I gotta be honest, I think the whole world, drag racing world, if you will, might be waiting for this conversation. Be there no doubt that Street Outlaws, No Prep Kings has seemingly become the epicenter of the drag racing universe here in late summer 2021. It's unavoidable everywhere you look. It is it is painfully obvious. Um you, you really cannot escape talk and controversy surrounding no prep kings. It love it, loathe it. It has people across the drag racing landscape talking, and we count that here at Drag Illustrated as a huge victory for every single one of us that are involved in the sport of drag racing or car culture in general. General general, ladies and gentlemen the race master himself an og member of the street outlaws gang chris boosted hamilton what's up brother welcome to the show man
6: what's going on can y'all hear me we can and you sound good dude i think you may have done a podcast or two how do you like it how do you like my lighting like how do i have it going on i
1: i think you look better than all of us really we're gonna have to start over but what about my beard i grew it just for you wes it looks good, bro. It really does, man. I'm trying. It takes me like six months at sea to get this.
6: <laughs> I was going to say, that's that's probably half a year of work there for you. Yeah. That
1: is half a year of work for me, man. Well, hey, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, brother. I appreciate it a lot. Chris, I want to get nostalgic like right off the bat. Let's, yeah. let's wax poetic a little bit. Let's tell stories here. And let me make sure that I share this on Facebook that uh, the man himself is is on here with us. What do you make of all of this? I mean if you look back you're out here doing your thing racing on the street the the legendary yellow mustang that we 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 all know and love I I still have a, an affinity for that car personally you guys start organizing these cash days events that really explode on the on the internet on YouTube a little I think we got to give some credit to to Kyle Loftus and the gang at 1320 video that caught a lot of those early cash days events I knew that it was this there was an underground energy that was building. Next thing you know, street outlaws debuts or premieres on the Discovery Channel. you guys are amongst the biggest stars in, in car culture, uh, moving up like incredibly leapfrogging some of the biggest stars the sport of drag racing has ever known. And now you're, you're at the center of the No Prep King spin-off. There's a dozen other spinoffs. it seems like automotive content is all over all these major channels. I mean, does any of this feel real? I mean, you're a dad, you're a regular guy. You just told me you were going to be late because you're picking up your kiddo from school. I mean, what's this situation even like for you?
6: Uh, Yeah, Wes, I mean, let's just start at the beginning. You know, back in what, 2013, 14, whenever it was, whenever they approached all of us about this show, you know, all of us, you know, like Chief Dave, we all thought that it was the cops with some underground like sting to arrest us as we were street racing on camera, right? So, you know, to look at that, where it was, uh, when it started to where it is now. I mean, none of us thought that it would continue longer than a season, much less two seasons, three seasons now into we're racing on, you know, tracks in front of thousands of people, uh, on TV. I mean, you know, no one ever thought that would happen. I'm I'm a, I'm a dumb street racer, you know, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be doing this stuff. So it's just, it's like surreal is the way to put it.
1: Do you, is there a, I mean, how much I mean, I guess, to be honest, it's it's kind of crazy that you said that 2013, because that felt like a little bit of a kick in the stomach, because at this stage in the game, it feels like 100 years ago. I mean, it so much has happened, but that's less than 10 years back that. You guys were racing in industrial areas in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, largely unknown to, to the world out there. Uh, all these things are happening by way of message board. We talked about <laughs> this a little bit last week. And yeah. now the stuff's on national television and people around the world know about it. I mean, you're a legit celebrity in in, in our world. You're a part of pop culture, man. It's crazy.
6: It, it is crazy. And, you know, to think back, back in the day before the show, like, Wes, we were – happy to be racing for 2,500 bucks. You know what I mean? We would all pay in a hundred dollars and there'd be 24 of us and it'd be a $2,400 payout. We're like, yeah, this is big money. And now, dude, we just aired a mega cash days where it paid a hundred thousand dollars to win. And dude, it's just, it's amazing. I, I never ever in my wildest dreams would have thought that it got to where it's at. But I mean, you can't deny what it's done for drag racing. You know what I mean? I mean, oh my God! It's it's just sent it to another level.
1: I think that that's the most the biggest victory for all of this. And there's a lot of them that I want to talk about. But one of the things that we I remember when we first put uh, not the entire cast. I can't remember if you were in that cover shoot that we did with Big Chief Murder Nova. I remember uh, Chuck was there, Farm Truck and Asian were there. Uh, we put you guys on the cover of Drag Illustrated magazine, and it was a real controversial thing when it happened. I didn't know, I was not, I mean, just to be completely candid and honest, I had no idea the pushback we were gonna get. Um, It was a big moment for me because I go, holy crap, a lot of people really care about what we put in this magazine. Like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that so many people cared and that whole thing, I stood behind it though and I wrote it and I put it in writing and that's something that I still try to remind people about the significance of the printed word. Even here in 2021 when everybody's all about instant gratification and everybody wants it here and now, right now, there's a permanence to the written word, to the printed word. There's a gospel nature to it that I, I find still cuts through. And I remember feeling proud to send my my editorial, my letter from the editor at the front of the magazine to press, because I can't delete that tweet, right? I can't, can't edit take it, back. it. <laughs> I can't take it back. I'm gonna right. put it in 15,000 mailboxes and I gotta live with it. No. And I remember saying that I don't care if these guys are racing on the moon, in a school zone. I mean, I don't really care. The fact that I can turn on network television during prime time and see people doing burnouts, see smoking tires, wheel stands, header flames, I get goosebumps talking about it. You cannot tell me that's not a huge victory for our sport. I mean, it, it absolutely is. It brought car culture and hot rodding and racing back into the forefront, and it hadn't been for decades so i'm infinitely thankful and i want to say it right here i mean i think there's some belief that like wes and the guys at drag illustrated don't don't respect what's happening at no prep kings and and i don't know that i care necessarily but i I, that's not the case because we've been fans we're we're, we've supported this movement since before it was fashionable to do so and it's it's so significant for our sport so chris uh, on behalf of drag racing thank you man because what you guys have done is very 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 important and i think we all owe street outlaws and no prep kings and all of this motor trend discovery pilgrim studios there's a lot of people we owe you a lot we really do
6: yeah yeah you know and and first of all you know i, I appreciate you you know saying that cuz a lot of people won't say that even though they think it they're not going to come out and say it so you know i appreciate it you know a lot of the guys Uh, in drag racing in some forms of drag racing may not approve of what we do. And that's okay. You know what I mean? It's not everybody's cup of tea, right? But we enjoy it and it's only going to go up from here. It only gets bigger from here. I mean, I I can't fathom it, but I just know it. It's just going to get bigger. So is
1: there any other, I mean, let me ask you this is, I mean, the question I have written down is do you personally see street outlaws, no prep Kings specifically as the biggest or at least the most visible platform or stage in drag racing
6: today? Uh, Oh, uh, hands down. I think No Prep Kings is bigger than any other form of drag racing. Uh, You can't deny it, right? You can't deny the viewership. You can't deny the payouts. You can't deny the attendance. So, I mean, they all speak for themselves on the success of No Prep Kings.
1: Do you think, how many people on, like as part of the cast of No Prep Kings, do you think are, are earning like real money or like replace their job money from participation in the show
6: uh man i don't i don't know what everybody makes you know i'm sure they get a little bit of money for their travel i mean uh you know i I travel to all these races and i still have an eight to five job so (laughs) we're not we're not quite making the jersey shore money uh but uh you know we're, we're making a little bit to offset. So, but again, I don't, I don't know what everybody makes. I can just, but, I mean the free.
1: opportunity like from merch sales. I mean, I literally heard this story. I was in a, I was sitting at a conference table yesterday hearing stories about how many shirts, the no the stars of the no prep Kings sell. And to be honest, like, it's not been that long ago that that was how a lot of the pro stock, pro mod match racing guys, that's how they earn their living is, yeah. I mean, they got a little bit of money from the tracks, right? They got some bookend money, they got some travel money, but man, they're slinging shirts and bringing home uh duffel bags full of cash. So, I mean, I guess yeah. the reason I brought it up is I just don't know that there are very many other walks of the drag racing life here in 2021 where people are able to, I, w- I don't want to say turn their racing operation into super successful businesses, but maybe at least offset a good amount of the expense through payouts and through merch sales.
6: Yeah. I mean, merch sales for sure. You know, I, what well, little time I do get to walk through the pits at a, uh, just a no prep Kings event. I mean, the lines are like wrapped around the trailers and they're intertwined with each other. And then you got cars trying to go through it and <laughs> it's kind of a mess, but it's a good mess because these people are all there because they want to be able to see and feel and, and touch and talk to their favorite driver. And it's just, uh, I, you know, I can tell you there's people that I meet at these drag strips and they'll tell me this is my first time to a drag strip ever. Ah, this is a crazy, I've never even been to a drag strip before. And like that right there is amazing to me that we've reached that point of, 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 you know, the audience to where they have decided, you know what, this is badass i'm gonna go to a drag race my first drag race and i want to be no prep kings right it's just you know and the experience they have is on the biggest stage and it's just you know it's just amazing to me i mean i can talk about that for for hours no i mean
1: and i and that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna do right here one of the things that i think it's important we talk about and we can kind of carry this in to a lot of other no prep kings specific conversations uh we can't have the race master Of no prep kings on here, and not talk about some of the controversies that we've seen, not you know, since it's initial launch but throughout the course of the last few weeks specifically uh a couple weeks ago we had stevie fast jackson and justin swanstrom going back and forth videos getting made you know the the radial tire guys up in arms the the no prep guys up in arms a great moment for drag racing again uh then last week i believe it was you got donald long one of drag racing's most celebrated promoters founder of the uh, duck x productions puts on no mercy lights out the sweet 16 Uh, did a bunch of great races during a a really damaged COVID season, uh, saying that no prep King racers are are charging for autographs and stirring up controversy. (laughs) And then this last weekend, we had this whole starting line drama where, I mean, it's been a wild situation to say the least. And I don't know that I even fully understand the ins and outs of it. But I'm just curious, can you kind of take us through that moment last weekend? I believe there was a gentleman's agreement not to guess the light. One guy guessed the light, Jerry Bird. He lives up to his agreement with Kai Kelly, the eventual race winner, uh, I believe, correct, and yep. skips the scales because he wants, to, he wants to honor his his word. There was a lot of talk that this instantly brought into to question the integrity of the competition that exists within No Prep Kings. I'm not here to call make a, a big, bold statement, but I, I know a lot of you guys fairly well. Uh, I have a great relationship with people like Pat Musi and Justin Swanstrom, and all the reports that I ever get is like, hey, man. Don't be fooled. This is real deal drag racing. Uh, there, there's no gimmies. It's not like that. Can you just kind of take us through that situation and let us know, you know, kind of clear some of that up?
6: Yeah, sure. I mean, first and foremost, that situation right there is the beauty of uh, No Prep Kings, right? I mean, we allow the racers, you're allowed to make your own decision, right? When it comes to racing, you know, and um, that decision that Jerry made was up to Jerry. I mean, he made it, they had a strategy. He did what he had to do. Right. And that's what makes this show great because we're going to show you all the ins and outs of that decision and what the implications were in the discussions about that decision. Like we're behind the scenes on, on, on everything that goes on. And, you know, I, I like to, you know, when I was listening to Matt Hagan's interview, he talked about when John Forrest walked up and was kind of poking him in the chest. That right there, if that happened in, say, No Prep Kings, you would have saw that. You would have saw that whole interaction, that exchange. And that is what sets No Prep Kings at a different level, I think, than NHRA. You know what I mean? It reveals everything.
1: I think it's important, to your point, man, like those moments, I believe – need to be celebrated. And I don't mean to play devil's advocate here, but my immediate reaction, and I've heard a lot of this, like I've been getting texts about it, like, oh, they they finally showed showed their hand. This is all made up. It's a soap opera, blah, blah, blah. But what, what I kind of find to be interesting and, and worth talking about is that two weeks ago, the entire drag racing world is up in arms that the NHRA was so... Stuck in their decision making process and so committed to like the integrity of the sport and the rules and all this that they robbed us of what could have been the most epic pro stock first round that we've maybe seen in 20 years. Right. I mean, we the whole drag racing world was up in arms that the NHRA didn't bend in that moment when it made sense to bend. Man, it made sense to bend. Let these guys race. They've been sitting in the pre-stage beams for four minutes. What a story. What a story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But but competition, you know, competition rules and integrity and the starter took over. And I understand that perspective, but we can't have it both ways, guys. We can't want to see these awesome, exciting moments unfold and then lose our minds when they happen because someone knew that, hey, this is what this is what the story needed right? The guy said he was going to DQ himself if they jumped. He did it. Yeah.
6: And this is not the first time there's been controversy in drag racing. There's always going to be controversy in drag racing. That's, you know what I mean? So, uh, but like I said, we will show every part of that. You're going to see it, Uh, you know, and that's, and again, that's just what sets it aside. That's what sets it apart.
1: I'm curious, does, is there a lot of prior thought put into or what, what do you say? Training, I think might be a good word that the Pilgrim Studios or Discovery or the people that are involved with the actual production of the show, d- do they kind of talk to the cast and characters? Because that was something I was hearing from Matt. I didn't, we were running low on time, so I didn't dive into it. And I, I kind of regret it now because sometimes I wonder if the NHRA, wouldn't it be wise to be like, Hey, let's train these guys up and tell them like, Hey man, let it all hang out. Tell us how you feel. Say what you think. Don't hold back. Don't just thank your sponsors.
6: Yeah. D- do those conversations happen inside of no prep Kings? I mean, it's not conversations direct like that, but we all know that we're on This is a TV show. So, you know, the producers are like, Hey, do what you want to do. If you want to be boring, be boring. You know what I mean? <laughs> we don't have to show you. So you're kind of your, uh, you know, it's kind of in your own hands on the character you want to portray. I mean, you want to be the boring guy or you want to be the guy that talks a lot of crap and is trying to fist fight people or whatever. Like wh- which way do you want to go? You know, I-, I can tell you that Pilgrim doesn't say, Hey, Hey Bobby, it's now time for you to punch someone in the face. Like they don't right. do any of that. You know what I mean? That's all, <laughs> that's all on Bobby. So, uh, and, and that's, that's one of the things that some people like I- to say, you know what I mean? that we, That it's scripted or whatever. And it's nothing like that at all.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's about, like, I've never ever felt it was scripted, but I have had moments where I looked at it and I go, man, are these guys just that smart? Like, And, and I know people are going to get mad at me for saying that because I sound like a blowhard or like I'm blowing smoke or whatever because you're on here. But, yeah. like, I see it all the time. John Force is another great example. He took it upon himself to put himself out there and be that guy. Yeah. At some point in his career, he recognized, man, I better... I better do something different. I better find a way to stand out. Set and your I, side apart. Yes, set yeah. yourself apart. Yeah. And And I see this whole group of people, and you're here telling us that no one's demanding that they do this. Nobody's scripting this behavior. So that just tells me that, man, these are guys that understand the way of the world in 2021, man. I mean, we've been trained by Kim Kardashian <laughs> and Kanye West, all these other kind of like reality people and these people that show every aspect of their life. Man, that's what we are. That's what we expect in 2021. And I think the NHRA and this isn't a negative thing, but a lot of traditional drag racing platforms are just kind of stuck in a different era.
6: Yeah. Yeah, they are, man. And, and, you know, people look at, you know, altercations that happen in the drag strip and they're just like, oh, my God, what's going on? But that's the entertainment factor. Right. That is what grabs the people. People talk about that stuff for for seasons to come. Right. I mean, you know, use the example of John Force. Everyone knows his name, and it's for a reason, right? I mean, he's just not – he doesn't fall into the crowd. You can pick him out uh, at first glance. I mean, that's just – but that's how he's built his character up. So he did a great job.
1: I, I couldn't agree more, man. When you look at the sport right now, one of the things I find is interesting is that we had Mike Murillo on here last week. We had some technical difficulties and didn't get to hear everything he had to say. But what he – I'm paraphrasing – but what he kind of started with was, man, he doesn't really hate on any of these other – you know, Hey, I like all this stuff. Let everybody do what they want to do. You just said it here, different strokes for different folks. No prep Kings might not be for everybody. It's clearly for a lot of people, but you appreciate, but on the flip side, it seems like the people from within traditional drag racing are much more, uh, feisty towards the no prep Kings guys than vice versa. So I guess I just want to hear like, I've seen you at NMCA events Chris, I've seen you at uh, Donald Long's events. I've seen you at various events down throughout Texas. Now that we're in the same part of the country, who'd ever thought that would be the case. But like, is that correct? That when you look around the sport, you don't see enemies or you don't see classes that you don't like necessarily? No, of
6: course not. I mean, you know, I like all forms of drag racing. I don't, I I mean, I'm an NHRA fan. I I like watching it. I like watching radio uh, races. I love Donald Long's events. Like, man, I just like, anything fast. And, uh, I think you're going to find that with most of the guys that race, no prep Kings, like they won't hate on any of the other events. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, they don't dislike them just because it's NHRA. You know what I mean? We, we all enjoy fast things. I'm pretty much all of us share that same, uh, you know, common thing that we enjoy fast stuff and stuff that hauls ass. Well,
1: I'm curious. What do you think is next? for, for no prep Kings, right? I mean, is it just the continuation of what's going on or, or do you have visions or, uh, do you see that? Where do you see this going from here? Right. We've got, how many races did you guys, or will you do in 2021?
6: So it'll be 15 total races for 2021. You know, we just added two more. Um, you know, the month of October is going to be crazy, uh, but that'll finish up our, our 2021 schedule. So 15 races for the year, but you know, the plan is to move forward, add more events, you know, nurture new talent as well. I mean, that's also big on the list because like we've had the discussion, well, like what Matt Hagan was saying, you know, you can't rely on, you know, one star forever, right? So we're constantly trying to nurture new talent and see who's going to rise to the top, you know, so that that's the plan, at least for No Prep Kings, is to continue on, have more events, more money, um, and just get faster and faster. What do you make
1: of uh, there's a lot of talk and kind of curiosity around the, the process of getting involved with the No Prep Kings show. So say that I'm a, a big tire, steel roof and quarters, Pro Mod style car, uh, you know, on the lines of any of these guys that we're seeing running at the front of No Prep Kings right now. What, what's the process look like for me to get involved with the show?
6: Yeah. So, I mean, there's several classes that are at no prep Kings events. Um, Obviously the invitational class is the big event, right? 40,000 to win. That's the one that everyone wants to strive to be to. I mean, you know, you've got 32 drivers, 32 drivers out of the entire uh, United States, right. Get to participate in that. So it's like, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% and so on and so forth, right? So um, what I could say in my recommendation for uh, Wes Buck with his pro mod or steel roof, steel recorder car, if you wanted to come participate, I would tell you, Wes, come to one of the events, run Outlaw Big Tire and figure out a way to set yourself apart. Stand out. You have to stand out, right? I mean, and, and I can't tell you how you do that. I, I, right. I, you know, but that's, you know, the first step is going to the event. There's open classes for you to run. You know, not every class is invitational. Everyone's invited to the open classes we have. I mean, Stevie fast could come run outlaw big tire. If he wanted to come on in, we're right. welcome with open arms, man, come race, but you show up and you stand out.
1: I think it's an incredible thing, man. And I see people doing it. I mean, I look at Lyle Barnett, put his small tire car in the winter circle Um, recently. I believe that was in Darlington. Uh, The the upcoming event is out on the West Coast. And I know there's a whole bunch of small tire guys that are like over the moon to just go throw their hat in the ring and be there and be guilty by association. Is that rewarding for you? And kind of speaking on behalf of the whole Street Outlaws crew, it has to be cool to be the ultimate popular click that group of people that 30 those 32 invitational spots that's really become a, a real Matt Hagen talked about winning a Wally I think that being in that 32 car invitational is encroaching on that kind of status where hey you're somebody does it make you feel like a proud papa does it make your heart swell with pride to see what this has become and people's desire to be a part of it
6: yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, I feel, you know, privileged to even be a part of it and be in the position I'm in. And you know what? The rest of those 32 guys should feel the exact same. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely a privilege, in my opinion, because you have got thousands of people that want to be in your shoes right then and there. You know what I mean? And, and there's people knocking on the door ready to replace you at any time. So, you know, for me personally, I am just beside myself that I get to even be a part of it. Uh, don't get me wrong. The days are really long, but just the satisfaction of making it all the way to the end and then handing over, you know, 40 grand and hand over this big trophy. That's only one of one for that event. I mean, right. you know, it's just, I, I don't know, man, I, I, I get kind of excited just talking about it, but it's just, it, it's hard to put into words. It's just something very unique that you would have to experience. Okay.
1: When you look at like big tire performance, small tire, and obviously all this stuff happens without the scoreboards on wind lights only uh, instant green start. If I'm, if I believe, I believe that's correct. Right. Right. Uh, I'm curious, what is a, uh, I mean, how much does it mean to you to see, or excuse me, I guess that's not the right question. What I want to ask is how surprised are you by the performance of these cars when you burst onto the scene with your car, which I believe the yellow uh, Mustang when it first came on the scene had like a, maybe a 28 10 on it, like a real 10-5, <laughs> yeah. sm- um, yeah. are you blown away? I don't know what that car ran back then. I'm assuming somewhere in the fives in the eighth mile. Now these cars are well down in the, the mid fours or, or faster. Uh, I mean, is that... I mean, are you stunned by this on, a, on an unprepped surface that these cars have gotten so fast?
6: Yeah, I mean, I can't, you know, I don't know exactly how fast the cars go, but I can tell you just by gauging, uh, you know, because we can gauge within a tenth or two how fast cars are going, and I can tell you they are they are hauling balls down the <laughs> no-prep track, man. Uh, anyone that says that they will put five tenths on any of these cars at the top are out in outer space. It's not happening on no-prep. I'm sorry. It's just not uh, cause these guys are flying.
1: It's, it's been crazy to watch, to be honest, because I'm going, knowing what these cars run like in other instances or whatever, to see them come close to replicating those performances on a no prep surfaces is really impressive. I don't want to dive too deep into this, uh, and go like all technical, but talking about the big tire cars and, and you have a, an intense knowledge of all this stuff. Is it a matter of like, if somebody's coming off a prepped track and they show up, to try to run no prep, is it about putting a ton of bite in it, like with the four link? Is it a really long bar? Is it? I mean, because it's it looks to me like it's going to require some wholesale changes to really be competitive.
6: Yeah, for sure. But it's also going to depend on the track. I mean, you know, we go to the tracks all across the nation, and a good example would be the Darlington surface versus maybe Tucson, right? Uh, and they're two completely different surfaces. One, you know, you have a a sand pit or sand all around you. And all it takes is one person to drive through the sand and then it goes all over the track. So now you're now sand racing down this this (laughs) surface, right? And so, you know, we're not going to drag it or spray any glue. So it just kind of is what it is. Um, and then, you, of course, you've got Darlington, right, which is a, a, a well really known. smooth, nice surface. I mean, radio guys fly on that surface. So, you know, I think you have to be ready when you show up to have your different bar angles. You know, like if you're on a Tucson surface, which isn't, you know, has sand and stuff, you might run something more similar to what you would run on the street, right? Uh, you know, a little more bite or so on and so forth. Whereas, you know, you get on like a Darlington surface and if you still have that, that, uh uh, that setup that has a lot of bite, you're probably going to rattle your teeth out and probably you're going to dump pieces of your car all over the track from tire shape. You know what I mean? So uh, you got to make sure you you really uh, uh, have your setups easily changeable depending on what what track you go to.
1: Good information because I, I do think that there's a belief that you got to you can show up with one of these cars and be pretty close, pretty quick. And I just don't see that being the case. Last question boosted and we will let you go, man. Um, Does this, the success of all this stuff, and I don't mean to get you in trouble and put you in a precarious situation, but I am curious with all the success of street outlaws, no prep Kings. Does this mean like real street racing for most of these guys is, is way in the past?
6: Um, I don't think so. Well, I mean, I can't speak for all of them, but I mean, I can speak for me. I mean, I was, I might, I may or may not have entered a little event a month or so ago in my yellow car. You know what I mean? Um, And I know there's guys that will still do it. You know, I know Dave will still do it. Um, You know, uh, Joe Woods will still do it. There's there's several guys that will still put their cars out there and and race. They don't they don't care. They're they're street racers at heart. They've been doing it um, for for their whole life, right? So uh, they're not going to let this stuff deter them. They'll they'll do it. Um, It's like uh, what what
1: big chief always say, like, Hey, if you're street, you're street, like you can't, you can't stop doing that. I actually had a kind of an unfortunate, a really odd conversation with my chiropractor. Uh, last (laughs) week he was asking me about street, like, didn't you use your street race? And I'm like, man, it's not something that I can really talk about with a lot of pride or anything because of my role as an ambassador for the sport of drag racing here and now, but we'd be lying. I mean, drag racing was born on streets. That's where yep. so much of this stuff started. I mean, it's impossible, right. and I'm not encouraging it or supporting it in any way, shape, or form. However, I will, I'm will. i here to tell you that, that that atmosphere is unlike any other, and I think it's interesting that there are events that are coming close to, to recreating that. Uh, closing thoughts on these races that are happening on the shutdown. You guys, I don't know that everybody knows this, but your group, the 405, I believe invented – this style of racing uh at uh i believe it thunder, thunder valley back up toward the starting line we ran a story in the magazine took a bunch of flack for it but i thought it was fantastic this was organized by you big chief murder nova etc w- what do you make of it right now i mean are you surprised at all because it seems like it's coming on strong and not going anywhere
6: yeah, there's there's been several events and they're actually big money um events Crazy. like backwards track. Like, oh my god, I look at it, I'm like, how are they, how are they getting this money together? But anyways, it's you know, it, these big money backwards track events are still there. And and you're right, it it all started, you know, way back in Thunder Valley with Big Mark and those guys, and um it was just a new kind of a new thing for us. It's like, all right, this is pretty cool. Um, it's really slick down here, and you know, we're not on the street, so that kind of sucks, but we're trying to mimic it. This is actually pretty cool. I think we'll continue doing it. And, you know, the guys that are doing it now, I mean, it's very successful. And uh, it really is a suspension tuners race at that point because, uh, you know, in power management as well. Because I'm going to tell you, at the end of the track, that surface sucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's rough Bad. down there, man. There's yeah. not a track in the country that God. I think is really an ideal place to go racing oh, in their shutdown, man. It's but terrible. You know, it's cool to see it. I don't know that it completely recreates the environment I mean obviously not you don't have that element of danger and that suspense and that kind of tension in the air however it comes pretty close dimly lit they're almost all at night late yeah. at night right people crowded around down around the water box or whatever it's a it's a cool thing and I I give I tip my cap because I mean, we got a situation I think is probably near and dear to your heart. I mean, we're about to lose. The state of Texas is about to lose Houston Raceway Park, one of the best yeah. known quarter mile drag strips in the country, a really beloved venue for our sport. And I thought about that from the perspective of illegal street racing. And they are going to have a problem on their hands in a big way, in my yeah. opinion, because there's gonna, I mean, it's gonna hurt. I mean, there are gonna be people that are going to be looking for places to race their car, don't want to go to the eighth mile track, don't want to drive to Dallas or whatever. And I just kind of wonder, we're going to see more and more and more of this stuff. And I, I tip my cap to the Tucson Dragways and to Darlington and Shadyside and all these tracks that are going, you know what? We're actually providing a service in a lot of ways to get these racer, give these racers an opportunity to do what they like to do in the environment they like to do it, um, but not on a public roadway.
6: Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. I mean, it's almost like uh, it's like the in-between of street and track. You know what I mean? You're still at the track. So you've got the walls and stuff like that. But also, you know, it's very sketchy down there. Uh, So, you know, for guys that don't want to put it on the street, and by all means, I don't I don't look down on people that that won't do it. I mean, that's your choice. You're welcome to do whatever you want to do. But this is a place where they can, you know, uh, I guess, mimic the street conditions and see how fast they can go down in a safe environment.
1: It's been cool to see, man, and we appreciate it a lot. Last thing, I lied to you three times now. It's okay. What, what kind of feedback do you get from track owner and operators? Because we just had a great comment in the, here uh, on YouTube, just on any thoughts on some of these tracks that are on the verge of closing or whatnot, but I'm just – my what I really want to ask is how good does it feel because a lot of these tracks historically, the only real big events they had were like if they were lucky enough to get an NHRA national event – or if they had like a big Fourth of July deal right. or something like that. But now you got tracks all over the country clamoring for their NPK date. I mean, what's that feel like for you guys, for the whole group? And what kind of feedback do you get from track owner operators when you're there packing their facility with, in many cases, fans that have never been to a drag race before?
6: Right, well, first off, I think you know these track owners see the success of the No Prep Kings events. I mean, the, the pictures speak for themselves, right? I mean, I'm sure you see it after every event, Uh, there's there's not an empty seat in the stands and so track owners see this and they're like you know their eyes get all big and they're like man this is really a a successful thing we want to have them here we want our our fans our you know our our people that live close to our track to be able to come experience this so uh and I can tell you how it makes me feel standing on the starting line and looking up and just being like oh my gosh there's so many people here and then they stick a microphone in my hand they're like all right talk to them I'm like oh okay no problem so then I got to talk to the you know the, the tens, fifteens, however many thousands of people are there in the stands. And and I can tell you, the, the, the people that are there are just overly excited to be just a part and see it in person. I mean, seeing it on TV and seeing it in person are two, you know, totally different things. And we give the avenue for the fans to be able to do that. And they're overly appreciative. Well,
1: man, Chris, we appreciate you. Excuse me, boosted. Um, we got to go by nicknames in this day and age. Oh, man. good. You can call me Chris. That. You call <laughs> me Chris. It's fine. Well, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you a lot. Go take care of the little man. I know you just picked him up from school and we we hate to derail your afternoon, but we are eternally grateful for you being a part of this, man. Uh, sharing some knowledge with us and uh giving us some unfiltered commentary. So thank you so much, Chris. I look forward to seeing you soon. I do plan on going to the No Prep Kings that's coming up in Innocent October at nice. the the legendary Motorplex here in Dallas, outside of Dallas. So I look forward to seeing you before the year is out and uh, hopefully our paths cross again soon. Thank you so much. And thanks for watching. Last yep. week you were in here commenting with fans yeah. and being a part of the show. So thank you so much for your support, man. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks, Wes. See ya. Thanks, brother. Yep. All right, fellas, it's almost that time. JT, roll the clip. I think it's uh, it, it's after hours time. I think, I think it's time. Holy cow, man. Uh, JT, Murder Tundra, Mike Carpenter. Welcome to uh, Drag Illustrated After Hours. All of our friends out there on the world wide web. Thank you guys uh, so much for, for being a part of this deal for, Pretty much all afternoon on a Wednesday, which I'm I'm pretty proud of, man. Love this shirt, Murder Tundra. Target. What's it say? <clears throat> Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're you. What a what a deal, brother. What a deal, man. a deal, man. What a, deal, man. What what a show. Do we crush it again this week? It's awesome.
2: Just I love everybody coming on here and just being so real and just being willing to just let it all hang out. Like we said, For sure. does a great job. I was actually at that uh, Darlington. No Prep Kings event. And you I don't know what experience he has on the mic prior to this deal, but I mean, he does a great job. And he's out there all day in the sun, standing uh, out there announcing and kind of being a, a ringleader. Yeah, that's uh, Oh, yeah. JT's getting some kudos in yeah. the Bam. chat here. So I
1: make sure the world knows. So I'm, hey, we here have Fran at, Benzo here, man. I actually had a to con- I'm, yeah, having- I'm making this pitch to Fran. I told him. Last week that I had a pitch for him, and uh, I'm hoping to head into the the last Q4, if you will, of uh, here in 2021 with Tequila Commissario uh, as the official spirit of the West Buck Show. That's the hope that uh, moving welcome, forward, to me, Tequila Commissario is what we're drinking right now. I'm embarrassed to admit uh, I've got Tito's uh, vodka here on my table, but I will happily throw that in the trash and introduce... Uh, tequila commissario to the drag racing world because it's 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 the best tequila i've ever had And france one of my closest friends in uh in the whole world as well as here in drag racing it's great to see him on here i'm, I'm hoping that we can get that deal done it's really been exciting man have you guys I, I don't i mean we can continue talking about chris and no prep i apologize to derail you mike but it's uh it's really been great to see the reaction the last few weeks uh, of getting all these guests lined up uh it, it's not without a lot of effort from our group you know dion uh Rath, of course, every week helping us line up guests, doing cut downs. Paige Coughlin r- r- lining up guests, shooting out emails, both of you guys helping us with graphics and all this stuff. It's just it's cool Thank to get gosh. this kind of feedback, man.
3: Yeah, man. Josh, absolutely.
1: Nate, Caroline, yeah. Nancy. It's uh Blake Fontenelle. We've got a really it's a it's an amazing thing, I think, that's happening right now. What was your should we do dinner table? Do you guys do well, I, I want to do dinner table? I've
3: I've been watching a show on stars called Heels. Have you guys seen it yet? Uh uh-uh. uh.
2: Huh, I it, heard about it though.
3: Yeah, it's really good. So it's about this guy in a small town that has kind of a wrestling thing, you know, like a WWF and and it's called heels because you know, in I guess in wrestling, the bad guy's the heel, the good guy's the face. You know, the baby the, face. Yeah. Yeah. And he can turn heel. But um, you yeah, know, that's kind of what he was, was saying there. And I think Stevie kind of hit on that, you know, when we were talking about characters last week. And, you know, like the producers told him, you can be the boring guy. You know, or you can be the guy that's out here throwing fists or you can be the guy, but they're going to show that regardless on that show. And we've talked about this before. It's not all about the racing. I think that's where the Street Outlaw shows took off when we when we were talking about it was was, you know, that they show the race at the end, you know, but really it was the drama leading up to everything. And I think that's basically what he was saying. You know, I'm sure that all those shows on Bravo or anything else, those people, they're wanting to get into it on on air or they're not going they're going to get cut.
2: They know why they're there. I mean, there's a reason why they got picked or why they're on that show. It's not right. to, to be boring. And yeah, I think uh, Boosted really gave us some good insight there on like you said, what to do if you want to come race no prep games and just a little more of the process behind the scenes. I think that they don't they intentionally don't publicize that a lot so that yeah. we can so that it's more I guess just uh simple to follow but Um, You know, some good information there. This kind of answered. It's almost like we answered some questions this week and got some rebuttal or some insight from last week's show because we had John on last week. He gave his side of the Hagen deal and of his how he views the sport and how he how it needs to be promoted or how he presents himself. Then we got Hagen's reply today. So I think as we go on, we're actually answering questions. I think boosted answered some of the questions that Stevie brought up about the No Prep Kings deal. So uh you know really uh unintentional i think we would we would be remiss if we thought that that was uh intentional but pretty cool how that worked you know, out
3: fran says i got fran's a fran's beating you up right now here's why I, oh yeah i got i've got corona i got a little everything I, <laughs> yeah we're
2: my we god J, J, I, me and jt got the beer because I mean, I, we don't I, have I, I, any uh tequila commissary oh i've got
3: i've got hardly we've got everything in this office you know
2: that
1: yeah. What? Yeah, we actually—I got a care package from Fran earlier this week that my wife and I cracked
3: open the other night, and uh, I uh, did I, think I I had to some get, some get to a children. care package from. Fran. you crew. know that you can make like a tornado in your beer to chug it faster? What? Yeah, so I think I can do it. I don't know. Let's see.
2: <laughs> what is happening? He works on this. This is what he does. His, is it is. Is this what you did?
3: You see, you just flip it just a little bit, and it makes a tornado in there, shoots air down it. Did, uh, let me ask you the same question
1: that I asked John Forrest last week. After that, uh, all these successes, John, I mean, after all this partying, JT, yeah. what I would say you're 40 something, your early forties, maybe uh, you've been partying since you were 12, I'd say 13. Uh, did you ever think almost three decades into your partying career that you would learn something new
3: about chugging a beer? I didn't. And I, I, I figured it out. Or I saw it at the Ozarks and I was like, why have I never thought of that? I mean, I've, I even have little devices that go over the top of them that shove air down in them. You know, like, you know, or I really, or
2: we're really, proud track, of you, you know? huh? I mean, always researching and improving your craft. You test like beer drinking, the way drag racers go to test new parts, and absolutely, need you need affect their bench. operation
1: next time you're down here we yeah. should go over to frankenstein engine dynamics or go to rear morrison and ask them to use their flow bench to just do some testing on how to <laughs> qu- more quickly get beer out of bottles so that you know just to help you out as you move forward yeah, your, is that a venturi i
2: think that's like a venturi effect like a carburetor <laughs> let's tie it in let's tie it into some yeah, I'm cur- highs and lows you, you, guys know, uh, you guys know
1: i do this almost <laughs> every night with my family Um, let's just do highs and lows of like the racing season, the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of cool stuff go on. Um, one thing that I feel has been lacking, uh, we haven't had as much talk about like radial tire racing is, you know, we're, we're a few weeks away from no mercy, 12, Donald Long's big fall production down at South Georgia Motorsports park. I mean, what are your What's some highs or some things that you're looking forward to with, with a lot of anticipation as we head into the fall? We talked a lot about the countdown to the championship. Obviously, it kicks off this weekend at the NHRA U.S. Nationals. Um, we've got a, a slew of no prep Kings left, races left to have. We've got the PDRA's final push, the Midwest Drag Racing Series final push. The NMCA just had a great race this past weekend in Norwalk. When you look forward to the next couple of months, I mean, it's hard to believe it's September it's September first, man. Uh, what are you guys most excited about here in the next two months, September and October, when it comes to drag racing?
0: Go,
2: go for it, Key.
1: Go oh, ahead. Mike.
3: Yeah, I hate. I hate. <laughs> you know,
2: this is like. I'm trying to. I'm trying to give you an opportunity here. <laughs> no, Not ahead. really. I mean, to me, drag racing doesn't start uh, until September, October. I mean, these are the months to to really get after it you know, early season, but then the the summer is just grueling for everybody. Uh, I, I agree with series that take the summer off. I really do. A lot of the local series here, the Carolinas do that. I think that's something that's catching on outside of the national uh, touring series. Cause it's just brutal to race and conditions in late August, but uh, really I always love September and October. Um, I mean, Indy this weekend, how can you, how can you uh, look past that? But I think we haven't talked a lot about radio racing Lately, we've been talking about no prep kings. We've been talking about the pro NHRA Pro Mod situation, uh, the fuel racing. Um, why is that? What do you think is the situation with uh, with radial racing, and what are we going to see from that going into the fall when they when those guys typically uh, the home run hitters come out? I think it's I, th-
3: I think it's a lot of things, but I think right now maybe we are missing some of the characters that we you know we've talked about this before, of course but some of the characters that we've had in radio versus world and the cars and you know, it's, it's getting so expensive to run it. And I mean, the car count isn't near what it used to be. Uh, You know, everybody used to go at it on the internet between races. I mean, literally go at it all day long. And there, there was days where we'd sit here and read back and forth on the comments where you could hardly get anything done. (laughs) You'd, You'd read through it all, you know, but that made it interesting for everybody else to partake in the conversation basically. You know, so so you picked a side. You know, you, you picked a guy you are going to go with, and then you wanted to see that matchup. So I, I think there's... I think the, the
1: focus for me, if, if I really take an honest approach to it and I try to, like, give you guys exactly how I feel about it, I think it's just it evolved so fast, man. It was not that long ago that we were like jumping up and down about Kevin Mullins going for 11 in a radial tire car, losing our minds, right? It wasn't too long after that, that we were jumping up and down about, you know, the first ever three second pass threes in the freeze in Memphis and Brad Edwards, big, much, you know, extremely controversial three second pass at Huntsville dragway. And it went from there to like, three forties. Right. I mean, it just, it went so fast. It happened so fast that evolution that you typically just don't see that. I mean, it normally takes longer for it to get that far gone. And I, I guess when I look at it now, I'm going, the last really big significant thing that I can personally remember, like off the top of my head was like Daniel Ferris's run. Right. Um, what, how long ago has that been when he, when he set the the ET record in uh radio versus the world. And I, I felt like there was a, and this is no, like, I'm not trying to be like confrontational or whatever con- or controversial, but it, it felt like that was a lit as big of a moment as that was right. As huge as it was, it felt like a bit of a, a, a balloon bursting like, Holy crap. We have radial cars running three forties. Right. Um, yeah. Where do we go from here? And I think this is proof positive of the point we make right here—a whole lot that when so much of your your show and so much of the, I guess, entertainment value is hinging hinges on the numbers on the scoreboard, eventually you're going to run out. Yeah. Physics are going to come into play, right? You're you're just you can't go much faster. Yeah, it's unsustainable. And if that's the, yeah, it's unsustainable. And if that's the focus, it's going to at some point be. A problem. It's also, I think,
2: we're almost having a little bit of a backlash against the over prep and the fact that radial cars can only run under extremely specific conditions, and especially to run those record numbers. I mean, it's basically record run or spinning the tires and moving two inches. You know, that's where radial racing has gotten. And I think that no prep kings. I think you know any any slick tire racing. Uh, we're seeing I've, – I've been monitoring the comments throughout the show. We're seeing this a of comments about, yeah, about the about the prep and about, man, I'm tired of all, all the prep and, and the specific conditions. We want to see these guys race in a variety of conditions. So maybe it's a little bit of a of a blowback from that. But um, uh, Tyler Crossnose event, Shakedown in Virginia, coming up in a couple of weeks, that's a great event. Uh, we ran that the last couple of years. That was probably my favorite event that we raced – uh, the last couple of years and you got to see the really kind of a uh, a magic show by tyler and his guys to prep that track for radio racing and then flip it back to to uh, slick tire racing that's a conversation and, and, we should have and have it be have it be
1: awesome for both combinations. Save, that one. save that one for a second okay. Tundra. we gotta but, bring that back up okay. Mur, <clears throat> save fran's comment for two seconds okay. do you think the 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 prep thing Lyle Barnett was joined joined us here a few weeks ago. I'm curious what you guys think. He suggested that maybe, maybe radial racing we need to treat it more like just acknowledge that it's seasonal, right? Like oh, it's a 100%. seasonal thing. We're yeah. going to run an event in February. Uh, we're going to run an event in October or whatever, and that's those are the two radial events that happen. The problem becomes where do those cars operate? But between, between, between those two yeah. events, and that's why they I don't. actually, like, I don't I know that there's as do. big, they don't. And that's, that's something it's, it's that more we,
2: of that specialization. Like we started, we started talking about Problematic,
1: the show where it's super problematic guys.
2: Well, well it's, if, if you want to go run Donald's, uh, two races or three races a year, and that's your focus, go for it. I think you just have to be intentional about that. And if you want to go run Midwest pro mod or whatever, it, you know, don't think you're going to be able to run your car at every series. And I think that these, these small, smaller, uh, series are able to, they they've ascended to the point where that makes sense. You don't have to build a car that can race everywhere. It's, it's okay to build one that's very specific, but just realize that. And then don't, you know, try to have a race in July. What I'm hoping to see
1: from radio racing is an effort. I don't know exactly what it looks like, to be honest. I don't, I'm not completely sure how it, how it works out but I think there needs to be an effort because I I'm here to tell you like what Donald long has accomplished with rail racing. It's, it's hard. You cannot argue against it. Like, I don't care how you feel about his style. I mean, it's obvious. He's obviously kind of a classic promoter in the controversy cells and, and he's rough around the edges and, and having known Donald for a long time, like personally, I know that he's really not like that at all away from the racetrack or away from his shtick as the duck. Right. However, I wonder, like, moving forward, if there's going to have to be, like, a renewed energy or a renewed commitment to the radials versus the world thing. Because I think what RVW became over the course of the last several years was it really the versus the world thing was just – it was a remnant of a bygone era, right? Like, there was It was a, it was a way
2: for them to get attention. It was. It's like, we're, we're going to take on all comers. These radials can stand with – Anything, uh, anything that's out there, and, and I think then it that became that, like, well, we're right. building
1: an RVW car, right. which, in which Donald, I think, would tell us, and he, I believe, he has on past episodes of the show, that like that category RVW was never meant to be like an eliminator. It was never meant to be pro stock. Or Pro Mod, it was supposed to be like an annual freak show, a come one, come all tough man contest of sorts, and I think it evolved rapidly into a standalone category of drag racing where people were building cars that fit that specific rule set. And I think if if he's looking for an encore, if there's a desire from the masses to kind of see this continue, because I got to be honest, like I understand that it's a very polarizing conversation, and there's there's this atmosphere that exists in our sports where there's a lot of us versus them. And I hate that stuff. I really, a uh, high tide. Lifts That's what those. Alex
2: was talking about with the I top hate fuel it. and the, the door car stuff. It's like it, two it. different cults. And, and you can't it
3: cross is. over. And you this can't fact, like, this is what we were talking about just a little bit ago though. Like, you know, the, the faces and the heels, you know, Donald has never, it's never bothered him to be the heel. You know, if, if you're going to be talking bad about him, you're going to be talking about radio versus world. Or radio racing. Period. You're actually and it, served, five, it, it yeah. absolutely
1: serves his, his purpose. His, you know? his
3: his old YouTube videos that he used to put out. You know uh, him and Linko Jim. I mean, those were epic. You got yeah. to I mean, so out, call man, everybody. And, How they called you out Wes, one time. That's oh so yeah. On yeah, for quite a
1: while. You know, yeah. and <laughs> it was for me. I just look at it as, like, what the, what's the second act? Because I, I would like everybody that likes to bag on Donald to, like, close your eyes for a moment and imagine our sport without him, right? Yeah, and without you know, the, the, yeah, a lot yeah, of the – all sure. that he has done. I mean, it has not been that – it's not been that long ago that radial – drag radial as an eliminator was like a class filler at the World Street Nationals. It was it, it parked on the grass – you were, you, were, you were there to occupy time. You were there to fill time. Now, radio racers are amongst our sport's biggest stars. They're, they're amongst the highest paid stars that exist in our sport. I mean, you got guys like Mark Mickey racing for $100,000. I mean, it's incredible, the ascension of radio racing. And, I, and I'd like everybody to kind of take a, a deep breath and go, hey, I may not love all the things he says and his willingness to stir the pot and whatnot. And maybe I wish he was more polite. whatever. No matter how you feel about it, You cannot discount what he's done for the sport of drag racing and what he's done for door car racing specifically, radio racing specifically. And I guess for me, when I look forward and I start thinking about what's the second act, right, like what's the what's the spinoff or whatever, I really think we need there's got to be an effort to bring some of these NMCA extreme pro mod guys to no mercy once a year bring these pdra pro boost pro nitrous guys to no mercy once a year or two lights out once a year how can you what has to be done is it is it a series of phone calls is it making qualifying money better what has to be done because i think it's time to start asking those questions because how can we ensure that at lights out next year there that you've got johnny camp front runner in the pdra trying his hand at radial versus the world how can we ensure that we have more kevin Rivenbark, kevin Rivenbarks, barks guys that were willing to have a radial setup have a have a big tire and bars set up and be willing to to play on both sides of the of the field there a little bit if you will that that's what i feel is kind of like the next frontier is if we can identify that it takes a special track a special t- let's just let's just call a spade a spade it takes a special track to run radials. It takes a special setup to run radials. And we're going to do it a handful of times a year for a ton of money. And we're going to do everything in our power to bring these big players from other segments of the sport out once a year and bring it back to being radial versus the world. We want to invite everybody down here to try their hand against the baddest guys in the country. I really think that that the only way it continues the way we know it is to try to figure that out. That out somehow, some way. Yep.
2: Tyler, they did something similar, or you know, competed against each other at the shakedown.
3: They did, yeah. What two years ago was it? Two years ago? Or did it do it again this oh, year? Last year? Yeah. yeah. yeah last it was last,
1: and it was. I mean, I think it was incredible how well the competition. And I'm, and I'm saying maybe, maybe you say that like, hey guys, you're not going to be able to run your big tire setup. Like you're going to have to have a, a, a radial kit in a box. And I'm surprised I'm not seeing this more from chassis builders. Because I honestly feel like if I'm building a pro mod for somebody right now, if Fletcher Cox, for instance, or some really well-resourced gentleman calls me up and wants me to build a car for them, I think I'm putting on the invoice like, hey, we're going to give you the car with big tires and bars. Uh, you know, We're going to give you that setup, but we're going to put in a really badass crate that's got our logo on it or whatever. Like, Have you ever been around one of these late model Dodge uh, demons or Hellcats or whatever? In the trunk, they've got like a crate It's all branded badass that's got your slicks, your front runners, a jack. You know, I'm not saying you need to go that route, but something along those lines that's like, here's your radials, here's the shocks you need for your radials, um, here's the four link bars you need to run radials, whatever. And here's a kit that's going to allow you to swap over every once in a while. And it's, I mean, maybe that's a pipe dream, but that's, in my opinion, that's, uh, he's going to have to make the qualifying money really big and he's going to have to make the payout really big because, two, I see Scott uh, Clinger in the comments here. I mean, we faced that ourselves, right? At the world series of pro mod, we did a no entry fee, hundred thousand to win winner, take all shootout three years in a row, but it still wasn't enticing enough for people to completely change their setup for one race a year. So it's a unique challenge, man. I'm not saying it's
3: easy. I agree. Let's go back to this. Yeah.
6: Let's go
1: back to Fran. This is something yeah. that we didn't get to talk about that much. Not as much as I felt like we wanted to, Mike, last week. Um, Fran vivenzo one of our dear friends, longtime uh, friend of Drag Illustrated. We like to call him Fodies. Um, oh, I am sending a bitch. Oh. I attended Brainerd and I feel for the fans who are expecting many more cars. Seven Pro Mods, three alcohol funny cars, limited number of top fuel cars, listed Nitro money, motorcycles on the pre race stuff. None were there. A lot of money for not a real national race. What,
2: what happened with the motorcycle deal? That's I have heard, I've heard of that, like, that. they were promoting and it didn't happen.
1: That's news to me. But I, I will be, and I don't mean to pile on. I don't want to pile on. But when I looked at that event from afar, and I saw the entry list and I saw the quali- the run order or the, the the run sheets and stuff, I, I did it. It felt like a, a felt like a low moment, kind of. Uh, It took the wind out of my sails a little bit because I just felt like the fans there in Brainerd are amongst the most hardcore that exist in our country. And I just felt they deserve better than that. And I don't know. I mean, this could take us 10 hours to break down. But um, I think we would be lying if we didn't acknowledge that that was a tough moment that the NHRA cannot let happen. You can't let that happen.
3: Your star's got to be there. Yeah, I mean, regardless. I mean, that's what people are coming to see, you know, so what's the solution, Mike?
2: I think we t- we actually touched on this, I think, bit, last yeah. week. I, I think the solution is to embrace that event as, hey, every car is not going to be here. Every class is not going to be here, but we're going to put on a hell of a show. Maybe throw some jet cars in there, some wheel standers, uh, add some classes, have, you know, they added Mountain Motor Pro Stock to that event, I think to try to bolster the car count. We've got the zoo. This is an awesome facility. You know, it has all these unique things, a lot like Denver. I think Denver has to approach uh, their race that way. Uh, Any of these places that for one reason or another are outside the norm, I think approach it more as an exhibition. And then when you go to Indy, yeah, we've got every class known to man and every car that runs those classes coming, uh, you know, Charlotte, the, the the race is where everybody comes out, but uh, Dallas, Scott Klinger throws out here um, double
1: points. Double um, points that is, that I will tell you that that's a go to. That's like an old promoters trick, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you want to make sure your local racers come out to a certain event,
2: um, put a double points race on. Well, man. I'm just looking at it from a a fans perspective. How can right. I get how can I get fans in the stands? And you know, double points may get the racers there, but it's getting all the racers there, getting the fans there. But if I like put on a concert,
3: help. it would help though.
2: But Yeah, it would help. But, but if I, what if I promoted a concert with like a B or C level musician, uh wheel stander, jet cars, and, you know, come get crazy in the zoo. That might get as many fans as a full car count and double points. I'm it's told. just, which, what, what do you want to do? Yeah, that's the JT event. Yeah. Or do you want to have the, you know the, the the standard NHRA event. Uh, to me, I think NHRA has plenty of races that are by the book, predictable. Whatever, I would embrace that zoo deal. I would be like, this this deal. We don't know what's going to happen here. This is our craziest race of the year. Promote it that way. I wonder they if they need some of that variety.
1: It could be. I keep going back to like having a thrill show. Mm-hmm. Like maybe recognizing that hey, we're not able to run one of our highly competitive traditional events at certain venues, we've had feedback from a slew of our racers that we race too frequently. Right. So maybe there is an opportunity to switch over to like certain events. And I know this is probably going to be a tough sell for a lot of these tracks that are used to having traditional events, but I do wonder if that's not a great idea, Mike, to introduce like a, a nitro night or whatever, which is a condensed show, which is more of a booked in promotion where instead of having top fuel and funny car, you say, Hey, we're going to book in eight top fuel cars. We're going to book in eight funny cars and a band, a bikini contest, a car show.
2: uh, You know, that's a a different way. That's been going on for since the beginning of time. And these other series have had to embrace it. You know, you've got what the, the Haltech world finals, Or you know these are these bike races the posters are more like girls in bikinis and you know other crazy stuff not the actual racing so i can remember the the super chevy days um cash i mean you name it if it wasn't NHRA, you had to do stuff like that so i think it's time to embrace that part of me thinks it would be
1: I had a, a vision one time and that sounded like really creepy. That's not what I meant, but I, I meant like I had imagined I didn't like see a mirage or I wasn't, you know, yeah. it wasn't like a religious experience, but no, I just, was <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about a moment or what if the drag, what if the NHRA had these, their marquee events and maybe it becomes 16 races, maybe it becomes 12 or maybe it becomes whatever 18. We see to be a really effective number for the pro stock teams, but then those events, that series was complemented by a salute by a series of either scaled down or kind of different, more entertainment-focused events. Where you maybe you had a couple of uh, maybe Steve Torrance doesn't go to those events, but no. Alex Laughlin does, right? And it gives these guys an opportunity to kind of develop a local fan base, develop some following, not have to compete for attention with a bunch of other people that have much much more evolved programs and give them an opportunity to like go out, sell some merch and kind of build a name for themselves. Like drag race, like happened back in the day. Right. But also, um, learn to be a pro racer, right? Exactly. Like learn to, ropes and not have to
2: go do that. This is another correlation to let's nerd out on some pro wrestling. It's a house show. You ever <laughs> been to a house show or heard of a house show? Yep. WWE, they have house shows. They had, they tour around the country, uh, at these smaller arenas, and
3: they're uh, bad on
2: non-televised show and that's where guys build their wrestling skills They they build their character it gives the promoters and producers time to see how these guys perform it's kind of like pre football and then oh man that guy there's something about this guy let's take him up then he might get on uh whatever thursday night oh, smackdown i don't even follow smackdown. it anymore but it used to be like you know Sunday morning, I think, was the next thing, like Sunday morning, morning. wrestling yeah. or something. And then you might get up to Thursday SmackDown. Then you might get up to WCW Raw on Monday night. Then dude, I saw, you might get I up to a pay view
3: I saw The Rock with his microphone had a cord on it.
2: I've been to a house show was bad, when, I was, yeah. when I was 15 years old or 16 years old. I've been to a house show somewhere here in Charlotte. I went to ECW uh, events back in the day, saw Rob Van Dam and like a bunch of – people that eventually made it onto the big stage in ECW or WCW or WWF has a lot of W's. I mean, the
1: NBA, uh, I mean, I and this is a, a, a more <laughs> of a stretch because of the, the economy that exists within the NBA, but they've got the G league, mm-hmm. right? There's the Euro league. There's the big three that ice cube has put together. I actually found a new basketball thing earlier this summer, the basketball tournament, um, which paid like a million dollars to the winner. And I don't know where these players come from or whatever, but I do think, our sport. This may, to quote Paul Lee, a longtime supporter of Drag Illustrated through McLeod Clutches and now most recently uh, as well with McLeod and FTI Performance. He's a he's fighting to get into the top ten to to get a clinch a playoff berth. Uh, I'm sure he's feeling a lot of pressure headed into this weekend. But he told me that at their business, Paul said that he doesn't like to use the phrase problem. He likes to use the or the word opportunity because every one of these problems or issues that you encounter, there's typically an opportunity somewhere to be had. And I wonder if there's not an opportunity for the NHRA to develop a house show. Well, house so shows to speak.
2: are a revenue stream for for WWE. They can whatever the arrangement is with the arena, whatever the concession deal is, whatever the. Merch. I'm sure they
1: have a sponsor maybe for that series. So it's I'm not on TV, going,
2: but yeah. I bought a ticket to it and I bought some shirts and stuff or whatever. So they're making money, and they it's just like it's it's being real with what you have to work with and what this show, you know, be able to think ahead. What's this show gonna look like? Like you brainer, what's it gonna look like when we have seven pro mods and, and seven funny cars or top fuel cars, whatever it was. Should we alter the format a little bit? Should we do something, or should we just have this horrible looking (laughs) eliminations ladder when it comes out? I hate it for the track owners because
1: I know how much pressure they feel. To like, I mean, you if you watch any of those shows or like listen to the NHRA uh, TV broadcast, I mean, there's an ongoing effort to sell tickets to next year's event. Mm -hmm. Get your tickets now, right? Like pre sale or whatever discount. I mean, there's so much effort that goes into selling next year's tickets. And I can't imagine how someone would feel going. I I I, I can't even feel good about selling this. Like how can I? How can you (laughs) scream and yell at the crowd to buy tickets for next year when you're clearly, without question, giving them a subpar show? Uh, And I I mean, everybody can 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 have have a a good part. If you're honest
2: about it, like, hey, this is a house show, or this is a whatever you want to brand it as, and sell it as such, then you can be confident selling it. And you can be confident that the fans know what they're getting into. But if you sell it as, the, hey, this is as big as, as indie, and then, then you've got a problem. it's not, yeah. you know, that's where the, the issue arises, But And I think that that's
1: opinion. what they're tasked with, because I think, you know, over the course of time, I mean, wasn't, Brainerd, two years ago, like one of the baddest ass races they had. Like there was a bunch oh, of records racing. set. I, mean, I don't I mean. I feel like I'm we're bagging on like, Brainerd. No, so no, I no, think, no, I
2: think Brainerd has a ton of redeeming qualities, but the I'm racing, just saying that the fans the have Brainerd seen Brainerd a big awesome, show. Too. Yeah. No, but you know what I'm saying. Like the fans
1: have seen a traditional NHRA show right. in Brainerd. They've seen a traditional NHRA show in Denver, and I think it's hard when you roll in there this time and say like, Hey, we promise eventually it's going to get back to what it used to be. Because I honestly don't know that you can blame it. I get tired of, I don't know that there's anything that's going to happen with the presidency, anything that's going to happen with the economy, anything that's going to happen with COVID that's going to dramatically change the situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to
0: dramatically
1: change it. We've got to
2: try something. You said this a couple of weeks ago, whenever we started talking about this, just have a little bit of foresight or a little bit of intuition about what's going to happen. Be on the phone with these guys. Hey, you coming to Brainerd? Nah, man, I can't. I blew my shit up and, you know, or whatever. Or I'm not, I, I can't travel that far. Hey, cool. That's no problem. We'll see it at Indy. We'll see you in Charlotte. But at least you know. It's alter your game plan. I mean, that, but that, how, that's how, what how we do, right? How, how, how much time
3: was spent on the phone for races that we've had? You know, like, we, oh knew, my Lord. we knew why people weren't coming or if they weren't coming or if they just didn't return calls, whatever. But at least the effort was there to figure out, you know, who we had, how many we had.
2: You know, it, do we need to change anything. We, we were wanting to put on the
3: show, you
2: know, for sure. Do we need to add classes? Do we need right. to change stuff just based on, you know, being communication? In class, you know? So I, I don't I don't know what the answer is, really.
1: I really think that it's. I I honestly think you you hit the nail on the head, Mike. That the the concept of a house show, like I really do. I think that that is a concept that is just. Don't you think it's part of the reality that we're facing? It is. You have to adapt. Is is anybody who's building a who's building a nitro car right now? I mean, seriously. I mean, who's like how many are there? Ten teams that are going to come out of the woodworks in the next come out of the woodwork in the next three to five years to race funny car and top fuel both? I don't think so. I'm sorry. I mean, I hate to be that guy, and I'm not. Everybody knows me as this endlessly optimistic person, and I don't. And I'm not at all trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be real and and recognize that, hey, man, the writing's on the wall. That this type of racing is absurdly expensive. I think it could be argued that it's very dangerous. Like we either have to make wholesale changes to the class, make it cost less and the cars slower, or and and hope that that's enough. Or we're going to have to recognize that, like, man, there's just not enough of these guys and gals that are willing to do invest at this level. There's just not the support required. I mean, it becomes an inventory problem at some point. That's where we're at right now. And if you've got full fields of cars that will go to 16 or 18 races, great. Great. Do that and, like you said, use this as an opportunity to develop a feeder series or a secondary function, a secondary program where guys can earn their stripes, learn how to race a nitro car at a high level and not have to compete against John Force or Matt Hagan, right? Maybe have a chance at going, a, excuse me, a couple of rounds or winning the damn race. I mean, I think that that – I think that these other this series – Last night on the Power Hour, the sorry. NHRA may have been – Sorry, I just want to spit this okay. out nhra may have been at its strongest when the ihra was
2: at its strongest that's a true that, that's a great statement and you know what these other series that we've talked about no prep kings uh midwest Pro Mod, uh pdra i mean you name it there's PDA. tons and i don't want to leave any out yeah. but they're strong right now and why are they strong because they're filling the void that's left they're becoming they're, they're filling that area that we're talking about right now it's true. just a natural prog- progression I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's smart on those guys' part uh, to embrace that and see a little bit of a market opportunity, and jump in there and do it. So that it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the show too, where you're not building a car, if hoping, you, and maybe go run an NHRA Pro Mod race. It's if you other your other series are strong
3: enough. If you treat your performers like shit, eventually your performers yeah. aren't going aren't gonna to work for you.
2: Let's uh, let's address this yeah, question I mean, I, here. That, I keep seeing yeah. this question over and over in the comments, and it's a good chance for us to maybe share a little bit of insight based on our conversations with the flow racing people. We have a great relationship with flow racing. Um, And what, what's the answer to this question, Wes, why can't flow racing offer individual race packages?
1: I I believe that they just feel that it defies the business model, right? I mean, the business model is much like it's the same, probably the same reason Netflix doesn't allow you just to rent a movie. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think that, the business model, the revenue required to do this stuff, it, it requires cash flow, right? They and I just an think investment
2: that, from you. It requires an investment, and I think that it's, it's,
1: it's some realities. It, it's just some realities of life. I think that you know it, Netflix would probably struggle if their whole model was built around hoping that some people chose to pay the fourteen ninety nine a month or whatever. But they're you know mainly they were at the at the whim. What it is is they, and this is a conversation, and I don't mean to be like too transparent here because I really feel like I've had some great conversations with the people at Flow Racing, and I'm excited about being more deeply involved with what they do as we head into the future. I think there's some exciting stuff that's about to happen between our between our companies, but uh, there aren't enough big races. I mean, there just aren't enough like. Netflix could probably pull it off, maybe not right now because of COVID, but I mean, there's blockbuster movies coming out all the time, or there were before COVID, so maybe they could do it. The UFC, as a pay-per-view example, you know, there's tons of big fights, right? There's tons, but even the UFC kind of forewent pay-per-view revenue to go to a more consistent yeah. model partnering with and to EMP. expose their right.
2: product to more people. There's and not that's something enough that big Flo racing, racing th- talked about with us is, is to, they, if someone that signs up because they just want to see uh, the shakedown or whatever, and then they happen to get hooked on um, NMCA, or then they get hooked on some uh, sprint car racing or whatever, it's opening you to new things. Just like on Netflix, you may join because you want to see whatever their latest film that they uh created is but then all of a sudden you get hooked into a documentary or whatever yep. and that's what they want you to do and it's about it's kind of like just having less turnover if you just came and went every day you signed up for three hours to watch a three-hour race and then canceled your subscription and then came back a couple days later all of this admin all of this work that is generated whenever you do that transaction they are trying to avoid that as well. So and DraftKings has to shoulder
1: it. some responsibility. I get, yeah. I get it. I, I get, I, I get. You want to just
2: pay for one race? Same, because you only care still, about
1: that one race. But still,
2: if you care about it that much, 150 bucks to watch it endlessly for like five I mean, have days. Have you around, a hotel room over? lately? Yeah, exactly. I actually right. was
1: working on some uh, right. like a, a presentation, a deck uh, for one of our our advertising partners here on the show, and I thought about including. A, a reference to how much money Drag Illustrated spends traveling to races annually, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say that number out loud. It's 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 shocking. I mean, it, it it like the amount of money that's spent by our company going to PDRA races, going to NMCA races, going to Midwest Throwing, races, in, going in, like uh you know trade DRI, in, I mean I'm talking uh, trash, like six your shop. digits guys. Yeah. I'm talking like six digits spent annually going to races. So when I look at the opportunity to like watch it for 150 bucks, not have to buy a hotel, not have to get on a plane, not have to drive somewhere. For me, it's an incredibly small investment make to make that really changes the drag racing economy, right? Like because what the what flow racing, and I don't mean to put words in their mouth, but they're part of their mission statement is like, how can we help promoters? make more money right. so that they'll put on more races right. because they recognize that when there's no money to be made or like relatively small amounts of money to be made, no one really has a big incentive to do
2: more races. They need promoters making They're money. investing in the industry. They're a investing in promoters. They're investing in the people who make their livelihood, uh, you know, putting on these events that you want to see. So, um you know, I get it. Everyone's in a different position. I'm not saying 150 bucks is nothing to sneeze at, but you know, it's, think of it as your contribution to, uh, to the sport and to getting the content that you want to see.
1: And and we do have to shoulder some responsibility for the fact that there just aren't enough major events. I mean, if you talk to those people, I mean, there are a handful of events that really, dr- that really move the needle for them, right? It's, it's Donald Long's productions. It's the sweet 16 it's lights out. It's Jason Miller's, uh, world cup finals, right? It's, uh, you know these the shakedown. It's these big events that they need. The World Door Slammer Nationals. They need those big events. And if they were reliant on how many did I just name? Three, four. Let's say there's. I mean, how many really are there? Is there? Is there a? Is I don't know that there's ten like pay per view worthy events. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to. Is there? I don't know that there is. And that and would all are
3: depending on who you are and what you're following. Yes. Right? Agreed. Yeah. So, you, you know, agree. but I
1: think that it's just it's not that would not be a sustainable business model model for flow racing. And it certainly wouldn't allow them to do for our industry what they do. I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. Like one of the biggest victories for us at Drag Illustrated was to get a check from Flow Racing. Right for putting on an event for for the right to broadcast the World Door Slammer Nationals. That was one of the most it was a really proud moment for me because they recognize they saw value in what we what we do and the show that we put on. And I, I'll never ever forget that moment. And I just hope I hope a lot of promoters get to feel that moment. And I know the only way it happens is if there's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of subscribers to Flow Racing. So the more successful Flow Racing is is the more successful the sport of drag racing is we're we're
2: kind of sensitive to it right because we wouldn't want you to just buy the one copy of the magazine that you want per year or something if that's your thing we want you to subscribe we want you to get invested in what we're doing and see maybe you signed up for some pro mod coverage but then you get hooked on uh some you know uh stick shift nationals coverage or something i mean it's it's the same thing it's it's you guys support us and what we do with the magazine, and then it's kind of the same model with Flow Racing. So, um, I, I just think that that's a common question that I see a lot on and here. I, and I do want to give
1: kudos to like there are venues that still exist. Like NC Promoter is on here. Jay is an incredible, great, incredibly great human being. He does a tremendous amount. And I'd be honest, like he helps me. Like I genuinely feel connected to a lot of oh, these yeah. events on the East coast that I'm not able. It's just not realistic. Would be, yeah, we
2: couldn't see a lot of these smaller events, Uh big dog, one of the, one of my favorite series, big dog, uh, which is coming up this Saturday. And I know uh Jay will be there and we can, we can check out his coverage from there. Uh Carolina extreme this past weekend, Northeast of outlaw yeah. promo. So I, mean, definitely, I never would to see that final. Right, there's no way his, way. his niche in that, in this deal as well.
1: Yeah. Go. I mean, I just think it's a, it's a it's a great thing, and I'm glad there are people doing this. And I know there's some, you know, them versus us that goes on in the, in the country or whatnot. JT, screenshot that, will you? Um, I'm gonna send that to the flow. I'll do it. I'm gonna send it yeah. to the flow people right now. Um yeah, smile, everybody. Hold on, I'm gonna screenshot this bad boy. Right, <laughs> um, that's a good one. Uh, but but seriously, I uh, I, I just really yeah. I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful that there are times, and I think we could have an argument about you know the downside of it or the other side of it um but I will tell you that uh I'm very thankful for flow racing motor mania bang shift I mean, so many of these races, we just want to get to see Mav TV. I mean, we're leaving them out. Um, Obviously, Jay and and NC Pro Modder, uh, there's a bunch of them, right? People that that go live and let us see what's going on at the racetrack when we're not able to be there. Uh, I think Flow Racing is the industry leader in it. They're trying to do something that's fantastic for the sport of drag racing. Um, I don't think we can ask all these independent content creators to like, I mean, the last thing we want, we don't want to create a scenario where the Jay Warrens of the world are having to pay. Right to come film this. I mean, it's we have to be careful what we wish for a little bit, right? And I'm just I'm glad that Flo's here and there's somebody that's trying to put drag racing in front of an ever-growing audience because that's what we need is more and more eyeballs, man. It really is. All right, last thing, and we're gonna shut this deal down. Um, I think Alicia's doing the hand face uh, on hand thing because of our photo op. A couple hey, of things. She
2: just is. It, we're running over time.
1: Yeah, well, so yeah, huge shout sure. out uh, right quick, uh, Ozzy and Gabby, GRS Motorsports, World Sport Compact Finals coming up in Orlando. Uh, Eleven years uh, there. Yeah, I mean that event is takes on a life of its own. I've been totally over fifty thousand people show up for that deal. Uh, Shakedown is coming up. I'm actually really. I'd like to go to that event. I'm I'm excited for what Tyler and the team there at Virginia Motorsports Park are doing. Uh, what what else? What uh, what ty, else are we talking about? Ty, big uh, shot this weekend. Big, ty, or, sorry, big do you, dog uh, this weekend. Big hey, Nationals.
2: Yeah. Check out the newest issue. Just went live. It's in there.
1: Yeah. JT throw in, uh, Todd, check out, uh, drag illustrated.com. Uh, what else? Last thing, closing thoughts. What are you most excited about for Indy or no favorite memory from Indy? And then we're hanging up.
2: My favorite moment from Indy.
1: Favorite memory. We didn't really get to labor over it at the beginning.
2: Uh, well, I mean, it would have to be last year. I've only been to Indy a handful of times. Uh, it's always been special. I think the first time I went was like 2007. Um, I've been there for other events, a lot with my dad growing up, uh, but never for the U.S. Nationals until um, I was an adult. And uh, yeah, you can just tell it's something special as soon as you walk through the door. But just uh, a lot of positive energy last year, a lot of cool moments um, and just the uh, the stuff that we got to do uh, with Eric Trump and uh, and Donald Trump that we talked about to open the show.
1: Murder, I know you've only been to Indy like for a race a handful of times, but uh, you've got a lot of Indy
3: memories, I'm sure. Do you have a favorite? Oh, yeah, yeah Indy's, Indy's just awesome. I mean, PRI and uh, the Indy 500 and uh, what, Nitro Alley, Brownsburg. I've been to John Force's shop there. I mean, Indy's just a cool place, really. I mean, it's. Motor- <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody about right? that. And and I forgot about the John, the, the
2: John Forrest store. Yeah. Oh, man, we've got a, we used to send our magazines. Yeah. They used to, shout out to John Forrest Racing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And then we'd pick them up in, this, in the truck, you know, the day before the the uh, the trade show and then haul them over to the trade show.
2: <laughs> and it,
3: but it was pretty awesome, though. Classic. You know? Classic yeah. days. We've
2: got some funny stories. What we have to do on the after after hours to <laughs> tell some of the stories? We've got a really good one. I, I would love to have had John here when he was on. There's no
1: chance week, that John Force knew that we were having our magazines shipped by truck to his shop. We just did oh, it. Oh, I'm pretty we sure that they did. Actually. They found actually. out about it. Yeah, they found out. We found it. out about
2: it. it. That's they part knew. of the story. Maybe we'll do it next yeah. week. Maybe yeah. we'll, maybe we'll right, tell oh. that story next week. <laughs>
1: well, man, I uh, I got to tell you guys, I'm looking forward to hopefully making some memories this weekend. I think uh, it's been, you know, John Force was calling it on the TV show, and everybody wants to see that place packed to the gills this weekend. I'm hoping to see a little bit of hey, the indie, indie yeah. of old is kind of what I'm anticipating. Uh, I've never subscribed to the belief system that NHRA's lot or the NHRA US Nationals has lost its luster. I've heard that before, but in my opinion, the magic is as strong today as it has ever been. If you've walked, if you've driven your car on that asphalt stretch of road between those two uh, chain link fences and, and pulled into the into, to Lucas Oil Raceway at Indianapolis, you know what I mean. It's a special field. place. Um, there's, uh, Brian Lone said this last night and it really struck a, struck a chord with me. Uh, I got goosebumps as I'm about to paraphrase, but there's 900 plus nearly a thousand people who've towed from all points of the country to, to do battle on a legendary stretch of concrete and asphalt this weekend outside of downtown Indianapolis. And I'm so thankful to all those people, everybody that has, you know fought the good fight to get to the drag strip uh those of us here on this show uh everybody involved with this project we respect that more than many know we've done it ourselves we've we've put up the awnings we've we've gone without sleep we, we've fought those battles left with a mad wife in the driveway or what have you uh as we headed off to the racetrack man and i just am so grateful for all the people that are going to be in indy this weekend for all the people uh that make our sport great. I've said many times, uh, 300 miles an hour on the scoreboard, header flames, all that stuff, really loud cars that may bring you out to the drag strip. But what I believe brings you back are the people. I get halfway choked up about it, man. I believe the greatest people that exist in the world are part of the drag racing community, and uh, I can't wait to see a whole bunch of them. For all of you that replied to my weekly email this week, thank you. I sent out an email Monday asking people, hey, if you're going to be there, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. If you didn't get that email, log on to dragillustrator.com and make sure you subscribe to our email newsletter so we can stay in touch with you outside of the confines of social media. If you did reply to my message, look forward to a a note from me in the next couple of days as I figure out where I can get us all together during the U.S. Nationals. And if you're going this weekend, please shoot me a text, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Facebook, uh, Wes at DragIllustrated.com. I'd love to connect, shake hands, whatever, share a couple of drag racing stories, and uh, head off throughout the pits. So thank you guys so much. Until next week, stay shallow, say your prayers, and we'll see you at the drag strip, guys. Thank you.
4: Woo!